Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hello. Howdy. <laughs> Welcome to week 31 of Is It Worth It? The Film Review Podcast. And we're still attempting to go out of our way to see all the films in the cinema, even the bad ones, so you don't have to. Coming up on this week's show, we're going to be reviewing Captain Marvel. The most powerful superhero makes her first appearance in the Marvel Cinematic Universe with Brie Larson at the helm. And we'll be reviewing that with Katie Smiley. Indeed, he's Craig Fields and I am David Long. You forgot to say that, so I thought I'd throw that in there. Did I? Um, yeah. After that, we'll be taking a look at Cold Pursuit, where Liam Neeson is back in the role of vigilante parent yet again in the search of something. Uh, we'll then be talking about Kira Knightley, Jason Clark, and Alexander Skuzgard in the aftermath set in Hamburg five months after VE Day. After that, we'll be fighting with my family. Well, we won't be fighting with my family. We'll be reviewing fighting with my family uh, with Stephen Merchant, who writes and directs Florence Pugh as WWE wrestler Soraya Knight, also known as Paige. And then I'll be reviewing what they had starring Hilary Swank and Michael Shannon. After that, we'll both be taking a look at the first unlimited screening of this month with What Men Want, starring Taraji Henson. And finally, we'll both be reviewing Border, the Oscar-nominated movie from Sweden. Um, This week, I also interviewed Will Treasure of Factor 2 Podcast and Matt Meggett about Free Solo in this week's The Interview. Mm. Um, And then we're also going to have our box office rundown. We'll have uh, Cinema at Home, where we'll be taking a look at Two films. Mm. Are you taking a look at any of those? Have you seen any of them? I don't think you have, have you? You'll be taking a look. <laughs> Me! <laughs> Craig will be taking a look at two films. And yeah, like you said, that interview with 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 um, with Matt and Will, um, having a look at, at Free Solo, which obviously won Best Documentary at the Academy Awards. It did indeed. Um, and I'm really, really looking forward to bringing you that interview. Um, how are you, David? How are you feeling? Annoyed. Why are you annoyed? Well, Craig, I'm going to have a little rant. After work, got myself in an Uber up to um, my local pharmacy or one of my local pharmacies to pick up my prescription. They said they'd be open till six. Thir- till, till, they said they'd be open till six thirty. Mm-hmm. I got there at six twenty-six. Plenty of time in hand. Yes. Shut. Locked. Do- lights off. Door closed. No drugs for me. Um, Ow. Which is unfortunate because I had to pay for an Uber up there. Then I paid for an Uber home where I had a, a pork pie, um, which <laughs> is pretty much my dinner until I get home. Then I had got an Uber up here to see you to record the show. So there's been a lot of Ubering today. I must say, it's, I, I know you're quite annoyed by it, but it's only four minutes. The point is, the shop, the pharmacy, is open until 6.30. Therefore, the door should be open until 6.30 because some people work and they can't get there until just before 6.30. So do you know what? Don't lock the door. Yeah. Well, tell you what. I'll do you a favour, and tomorrow I will pick them up for you and deliver them to your And pay work. for them. Oh, thank you so I'm much, I'm not going to pay for them. How are you? Um, I mean, I'm, I'm shuffling along. I'm still <laughs> alive, That's good. so to speak. I, I've still not been completely well, but mm. I'm, um, I'm getting there. And, um, I mean, we've been delayed, haven't we, by a couple of weeks by forgetting this, this podcast out. I mean, every time we go to record it, it's one of us is 
dying or incapacitated in some manner. Um, my, namely me, actually. This <laughs> yeah. no, we lead we lead very busy lives, but I tell you what, it's an interesting show this week. A wide variety of films, and a few films that are going to be not only interesting to review, but very difficult to review. Um, the likes of Border, uh, this uh, Oscar-nominated foreign film from Sweden. One of the most bizarre films I have ever seen, not only in the cinema, but in general. Um if you haven't heard about it, if you don't know much about it, we're going to try and bring... I don't know how we're going to do this. A non-spoiler review is what I'm pitching for. I, um, I've i thought about it very long and hard, and I think we can achieve it. And yeah. I... Yes, I agree. Most bizarre film, and I'm very much looking forward to review it. Indeed. So, Shall we? Well. <laughs> you're about to say exactly the same thing <laughs> as I was. was. Um, Go on, you say it. Box office rundown. I hope that's what you were going to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, good. <laughs> This is the Box Office Rundown, brought to you by Is It Worth It, the film review podcast. Yes, it's that time again where we have a look at the Box Office Rundown, and this is for the weekend of March the 8th to the 10th, 2019. David, kick us off at number 10, please. So, at number 10, at the bottom of the pile, we have Cold Pursuit. Uh, that's been out for three weeks. Uh, it's grossed $1.7 million in total and took a fairly abysmal £100,000 at the weekend. Uh, we are reviewing that on today's show and uh, we will let you know exactly what we thought of this Liam Neeson film where he yet again just plays Liam Neeson doing what Liam Neeson does. Taken, Taken 1, Taken 2, Taken 3, The Commuter. Um, and yeah. so on. In at number 9, we have Alita Battle Angel. It took... £200,000 at the weekend. It's grossed £8.9 million overall and it's been in the box office for five weeks and we both like this film very much so and we both thought it was worth it. Absolutely. Worth seeing on the biggest screen possible if not Screen X or whatever kind of crazy 4DX 4DX or whatever else you can see it in. Yeah, I'm surprised this has only taken £8.9 million. I thought it would do a little bit better, but at the same time, it's not a film that I've seen pumped out and advertised, and obviously with Captain Marvel coming out as well, uh, I think that has done this film no favours at all. Uh, above it, at number eight, we have The Kid Who Would Be King. That took £200,000 at the weekend. It's grossed £3.3 million in total. It's been out for four weeks. Um, I really didn't enjoy this film. Uh, I was disappointed by it, but like I said on the podcast the other week, it's got very good critical reviews, it's got good audience reviews and scores on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, I just found it a little bit wooden and a little bit empty, so for me, it wasn't worth it. Uh, for me, I really enjoyed it. So we had very good contrasting uh, views on on The Kid Who Would Be King. And if you want to listen to that review, it was on last week's show. In at number seven, we have The Aftermath. Uh, took £300,000 at the weekend. It's grossed £1.3 million overall. It's been in the box office for two <laughs> weeks. And uh, we're going to review it on this week's show. Indeed, we are above it. At number six, we have Green Book. It took £500,000 at the weekend. It's grossed £8.5 million in six weeks. It won Best Picture at the Academy Awards. And it's a film that, whilst it's still in the cinema, we recommend you go and see. 
Definitely. Uh, in at number five, we have How to Train Your Dragon, The Hidden World. It took £600,000 at the weekend. Bloody hell. Gross £17.9 million in total, and it's been in the box office for six weeks. We both thoroughly enjoyed this. Mm. David, despite not seeing the previous incarnations of this film or anything else about it, you really enjoyed it. And um, yeah, I think that's that really says a lot about the film, doesn't mm. it? Very, very impressed indeed. And I was also impressed by the film above it at number four, which is Instant Family. It took £700,000 at the weekend. It's grossed £9 million in total. It's been out for four weeks. And I really enjoyed this film. Look, there are problems with it. And if you want to know what they are, listen to the full review. But overall... Um, it was funny, it was emotional, and it was well worth seeing in the cinema. In at number three, The Lego Movie 2, the second part, uh, that's taken £800,000 at the weekend. It's grossed £16.8 million overall. It's been in the box office for five weeks, and it's done very, very well in uh, in some respects, and badly in others. Um, it's slowed down a fair bit, but it's still in at number three, so in, in that regards, it's doing very well, and it is a decent film. I think a lot of people were really looking forward to seeing what the sequel would do um and it has done fairly decently um i'm i'm unsure whether a third will be coming or if it does whether it'll be any good but we'll Mm. see we'll see indeed above that at number two we have fighting with my family uh it took a million pounds at the weekend it's goes to 3.6 million in total it's been out for two weeks dwayne the rock johnson is involved and we will be reviewing that on this very show And finally, in at number one, it's Captain Marvel. It's taken £12.7 million in its opening weekend. Uh, And obviously, that's its gross total as well. And yeah, incredible. I mean, that's one of the biggest opening weekends that a film has done ever worldwide. Um, I think it's probably the second biggest. And that is just incredible stuff. And it really does show that Marvel and Disney have complete control over the box office. Every Mm. time a film comes out from Disney, they are absolutely raking in the money. Yeah. And I mean, think what they've got coming out. They've got Dumbo, um, Avengers Endgame, Avengers Endgame, Spider-Man, yeah, the new Lion King, Toy Story 4. It's a massive year for Disney. It's it's a a very big year for Disney. We're going to be having a lot of Disney films in this box office rundown. Yeah. And, also streaming as well because Disney are obviously going to be having their own streaming service coming very very mm. soon which will be another thing that we'll have to subscribe to and uh, <laughs> bloody hell another um, Disney's own straight to streaming service movies mm. as well I'm sure they'll be coming our, our way I really hope Apple have this there's an Apple have an announcement coming up where there's a, an event where I'm hoping it's going to be their streaming service mm. and it's going to incorporate all of them into one subscription fee yeah. and if so It'll make life so much easier for us and everybody else. And that's my prediction. But if it doesn't do that, I'm going to be so, so upset because I can't afford to subscribe to all of them individually. Mm. It's just not on. Are you talking about iTunes and all the different... I'm talking about Netflix, Now TV, um, Disney streaming services. Oh, so Apple are thinking about doing a whole sort of... So they are doing their own streaming services. Mm. That's the rumours. The event is happening. There is going to be an announcement about Apple streaming service. But my prediction is that they will be... Their streaming service will be different. It will be incorporating all of the streaming services into one streaming service, giving each um, streaming service a cut. And Mm. you subscribe to Apple's one and you have all the content from Netflix, all the content from Disney, all the content from all of them through Apple TV. Surely Amazon as well. Yep, and Amazon Prime. And you'll have to have apple tv to do it because obviously you have the apps on apple tv as well anyway for amazon prime what's this craig apple monopolizing the market surely not it doesn't sound like them at all they will be doing that i i i I, it's my strong prediction Mm. that this will happen otherwise 
it, I can't see Apple having a streaming service as well. And there'll be just too many to subscribe yeah. and it will be oversaturated instead of being too much, comp- you know, mm. enough competition to keep the, the things going. Mm. It would just be oversaturated and people will get confused and oversubscribed and it would just be complete carnage in, mm. in that world. Anyway, I, think, I feel like that's the news really, isn't it? I think we should move on swiftly yeah. to our first review, which is... Well, let, what about my full box office rundown? Oh, yeah, sorry, David, go on then. What's my main bit of the show? Right? I mean, it's your only bit, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> In at number 10, we have Cold Pursuit. Nine, Alita Battle Angel. Eight, The Kid Who Would Be King. Seven, The Aftermath. Six, It's Green Book. Five, How to Train Your Dragon, The Hidden World. Four, Instant Family. Three, The Lego Movie 2, The Second Part. At two, we have Fighting With My Family. And at the top of the pile... We have Captain Marvel, which is our first review. So that worked out very nicely indeed. So it's now time for our first review of week 31, and it's Captain Marvel. Uh, What is this film about? Well, I'm not quite sure what we call our main protagonist. Um, She starts off as Viz, then she's Carol, and ultimately takes up the mantle without anyone actually calling her this in the film, um, but Captain Marvel. It's the 90s, we're in prequel territory here, and uh, most of the MCU runs in a somewhat linear fashion, but this takes a trip back in time. It's the penultimate movie of Phase 3 before Avengers Endgame, and it's introducing Marvel's most powerful hero to date. We're taking on a journey through the memories of Veers, who believes she is Kree, uh, who have a kind of military Star Force place called, well, it is called Star Force, uh, who form part of a warrior hero race. Uh, But when the scrolls, these evil green shapeshifters, kidnap one of the Kree's uh, spies, Veers ends up on C-53, known as Earth to us. And here begins the unravelling of her past. Shall we take a listen to a clip? Yes, we shall. Oh, oh. you want to get personal. Where were you born? Huntsville, Alabama, but technically I don't remember that part. Name your first pet. Mr. Snoofers. Mr. Snoofers. That's what I said. Did I pass? Not yet. First job? Soldier. Straight out of high school. Left the ranks of full bird colonel. Then? Spy. Where? It was the Cold War. We were everywhere. Uh, Belfast, Bucharest, Belgrade, Budapest. I like to be as I can make them ride. Now? Been riding a desk for the past six years, trying to figure out where our future enemies are coming from. Never occurred to me they would be coming from above. Name a detail so bizarre a scroll could never fabricate it. A toaster's cut diagonally, I can't eat it. You didn't need that, did you? No, no I didn't, but I enjoyed it. Okay, your turn. Prove you're not a scroll. So we're going to be doing this review ever so slightly different this week. Uh, we've got Katie Smiley on the phone with us all the way from uh, Scotland. You're from Scotland, aren't you? Yes, I am. Yeah, hello. <laughs> Whereabouts in Scotland? Uh, near Glasgow. Okay. So we we had a little discussion. Um, we we know each other from uh, our trip to Nepal um, and we've kept in touch ever since. You've listened to the podcast um, quite a lot. Um, and we discussed that we felt it might be quite important to have um, a female voice for, for this review, being that it is the first Marvel film to have a lead superhero who is a female. Um, yeah. W- why, though, is it important <laughs> to discuss these films in this way? 
Uh, I'm going to see things that you're not going to see. Um, all women watching this are going to see things that no man's going to recognise. Um, yeah, so much in there. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, there's a lot of things that happen in films like this that go over our heads definitely like males as a species for, for sure there's, there's film <laughs> i mean there's, there's a, you laugh but when i studied film in film studies um there was there's there's a female gaze and a male gaze and and um this film is for everybody 100 percent. but there are things that you've definitely seen in this film that i definitely didn't and it took a second watch as well where i i, I saw it a little bit more clearer and I think it's the same for David as well um, where should we kick off with this one David have you got somewhere to kick off with uh, yeah absolutely so I mean I, I, I'll kick off by saying um, I really enjoyed this film it had, it had a bit of a bumpy start um, obviously as Craig's wonderful synopsis says the film stars scrolls but it was in fact the victim of online trolls um, it got <laughs> roasted on Rotten Tomatoes, um, people basically, because it had a female lead in Brie Larson, uh, lots of um, middle-aged men with beards and beer bellies who seemed to have nothing better to do, decided to go on to Rotten Tomatoes and give it a terrible review before it was even out. Uh, this has actually led Rotten Tomatoes to change the way that you can review films, particularly films that haven't been released yet. Um, so it got off to a bumpy start, but as you heard in our box office rundown, it's absolutely smashed, smashed the box office, and rightly so. I really, really enjoyed this film. I thought the acting was good. I thought the comedy was good. It was well paced. Um, we had a, you know, a formidable force and a welcome addition to the MCU uh, in Captain Marvel. Brie Larson was fantastically cast as well. And a bit like Ant-Man and the Wasp, Craig, which I felt was a, a little bit of light relief uh, after the last Avengers game. This was much needed. There was a lot of comedy in here and it was a traditional like fun superhero film which leads us nicely uh, very nicely in fact into Endgame uh, you know I'm not a big MCU fan in, I mean I enjoy the films I don't know a lot about them I certainly haven't yeah. read the comics and I went into this you know expecting it to be good and it was good um, you know I really really enjoyed it good critical reception 79% of the critics like it but somehow still the audience it's got an audience score on Rotten Tomatoes of 62%, which, again, that's not true. Yeah, you know, I, that's, look, that's trolls. Isn't yeah, it? that is 100% <laughs> trollage because, you, you know, you look at the box office um, statistics, you look at the reviews it's get, you, you talk to anyone who's seen the film, more than 60% of people like this film. Unfortunately, there's some people who are trying to spoil the party by just giving it a bad review for the sake of it, which is a real shame. Yes. Katie, your take on the film. Um, I love this film so much. Um, this film has filled a gap that I'd forgotten was missing. Um, I was lucky. I grew up with female superheroes. I grew up with Buffy. I grew up with Xena. I'm a little bit older than you guys, so I, I grew up with these people. And then there was nothing for years. There have been no female superheroes, really. There's been the token women in some films until, and I'm about to do something that I tell everybody else off, until Wonder Woman came along. Um, and the one thing I hate is that I've seen people have compared Wonder Woman and Captain Marvel as characters. Don't do that. Um, <laughs> you don't do that with the male ones. Don't do it with the women ones. But what I will say is I loved Wonder Woman as a film, but I was really annoyed by it because so much of it was about Steve and her relationship with Steve. Yes. And I wanted it to be about her. Yeah. Captain Marvel gave me everything that I wanted from Wonder Woman and more. 
um, everything that I didn't know that I needed. I love the fact she's just that little bit sassy and a little bit ditzy occasionally. I love it. Absolutely loved it. Yeah, we do fall into that trap of comparing films when they're very similar in in certain respects. And with this, it's it's no different. Obviously, we're going to be comparing it, first of all, because it's um, Wonder Woman was the first DC film to have a leading female in in, in the role. And it's it's the same with with Marvel. So you do end up comparing them. And yes and no. I've I've got no issues with the films being compared. What I do have issues for is the the multiple articles I've seen of who would win in a fight? Would it be Carol Danvers? Or yeah, I'm like, I'm not down with that. That's yeah. not okay. We don't I'm, do that with the guys. Don't do it with the women. Yeah. So in, in that respect, comparing the films, um, in that, in that respect, I, I, I don't think I would ever do that. What, what I'm looking at here is, is the type of characters they've portrayed on, on the screen from where they've been as, um, characters in terms of from the comics and how they've tried to portray them on the film uh, and where they spent too long, like you said, t- looking at the love interest for Steve with, with Wonder Woman and with Marvel, you, you didn't get that at all. You didn't need to have that in there. It focused on, ca- on building the character of Carol Danvers and understanding her origin and, and learning about her. You didn't need to have a love interest. Saying that... But did we have a love interest? Exactly. That's the question. That's, it's, <laughs> and that depends who you ask, yes. definitely. I mean, I, I was speaking to David previously on this matter. He didn't see it the first time around. I spoke to Ranjit as well, who we had on the show a couple of weeks ago or last week, um, and he didn't see it until he saw it a second time around. I'm pretty sure it was Ranjit you said that. I hope it was. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and also you said the same thing as well in terms of, but you saw it more of the first time around. So th- again, this is... Oh, yeah, every woman I know who has seen this film has come out of it and gone, so they're a couple, right? And every guy's gone, oh, that was a nice friendship. Mm. And then they've seen it again and gone, oh, wait a minute. At some point they noticed that when she comes in and sees them for the first time after, what, six, seven years, that um, Maria's daughter's wearing her T-shirt. Mm. And it's little no- things like that that I don't know any male person who has seen this film has noticed those little details the first yeah. time round. Um, I was talking to some of my friends and one of the things one of my friends said was that the Danvers Ramble Ramble friendship and love and clear active role in the kid's life was something I've never seen before that meant so much to me. Um, These are relationships that that people are seeing what they want to see and that's good in a way because some people are going, this should be more and other people are going, but what are you talking about? There's nothing there. I, I think... A lot of people are recognising themselves on screen in a way that we haven't seen before. Um, I think um, we were talking before and um, it's been mentioned a few different times actually in different reviews about um, the similarities between women going to see this and um, the Black Panther and the, the communities who are seeing themselves on screen for the first time through that movie. Um, I Yeah, that I think... Yes, the the most important thing in that is the female friendship. If they want to explore that further in a later movie, bring it on, definitely. Yeah, I'd I'd like to see it play out, and it'd be interesting because we don't we we don't see that on screen 
in a comic book movie. I can't recall no. of seeing it. And, you know, they don't have to be subtle about it and they and they don't and they can be subtle about it. It, it it doesn't need to play out in a way where it's forcing people like like to to have to see it like we don't need to see it and we because we that's not what it. the film was about no, exactly <laughs> like it would just be nice if it if it just segues very slightly into it and it's and and it's there's no and it know, just no, is nothing yeah it just is exactly exactly um this film is very nostalgic for a lot of reasons, but for yourself a bit more, maybe? Uh, yes, I'm a former Blockbuster employee. <laughs> <laughs> I miss Blockbuster. Oh, those were fun times. Ten free rentals a week. It was great. <laughs> As an employee? <laughs> yeah. Nice. Yeah, the rentals were worth more than the wages were. It was great. <laughs> What else so yeah, did, it, was, what, it was nice what, to, to see that. <laughs> what else did you recognise in there as well that maybe was a bit more nostalgic, maybe? That you had a bit of a giggle about, maybe? Ah, uh, yeah. Um, the Terminator 2 references. Um, yeah, the, there's a scene in Terminator 2. Um, I need your clothes, your boots and your motorcycle. <laughs> and that was a terrible attempt at an accent. Um, and the, yeah, that scene playing out almost identically after, and I have to say, this is another one, things that I recognised in this movie that have happened to me. Um, have either of you two ever been told to smile because you would look more attractive? No. Has that ever happened to either of you? Oh, it's not happened to me. Has it happened to you, David? Have I ever been told to smile so I'd look more attractive? Yes. I look hideous when I smile. Yeah, but has anybody <laughs> ever asked you that or told you that? I suppose. Have they? Mm, they might have. It does happen. It happens a hell of a lot more when you're a woman. Um, so seeing that on screen, I laughed at that too. And then going straight into that, to this kind of big superhero-ish reference, I'm like, all right, I know where you're going with this movie now. Love it. Had a giggle at that reference. And yeah, so much of it. Yeah. What's very um, concerning about that part of this film where they were the guy on the motorboat tells her to smile, was that actually before the film was released, um, somebody had told her to smile um, because she doesn't smile a lot is, is where he was going with this. And it was a guy telling her to smile. And there was people saying that they put that in the film because of, because of that, but they didn't. It just was no. a massive coincidence. <laughs> Um, no, no, that's not coincidence. That's life when you're a woman. <laughs> well, yeah, it was. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Which is why it was in there, because um, one of the female writers put it in there. Mm. Um, but yeah, that there was—I've seen it twice now, and um, both times there's been at least one woman's gone <laughs> when when that happens. Like, yep, yeah, that's happened to me. That that's what happens. It's a good way. Yeah. So things that we don't normally see on screen that I'm going, yeah, but we're seeing ourselves. Yeah. Uh, Again, that that no nobody has ever told me to to smile in that in that manner ever, um, and it, you know until you mentioned to me to me before, um, I would never have considered that ever. And seeing it in the film, I probably still wouldn't have thought about it in that way either. So it's good to get your opinion on that. Um, ben Mendelssohn, as the the leader of the scrolls, I thought he was 
phenomenal. I can't even say the word. Phenomenal. That's it. Thank you, David. <laughs> um, I thought he was absolutely brilliant. Underneath all that hair, that, that makeup hair, there was no definitely no hair on him. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, he managed to bring a lot of pathos uh, to to that character. Um, what did you guys think of of uh, Ben Mendelsohn's performance? I, I really enjoyed his performance, and I really enjoyed the the, the scrolls as well. Um, they were an integral part of of the whole film, and actually, some of the more emotional scenes, um, they played a really good a good part in that as well. And and some of the plot twists, they were heavily involved in that. Um, yeah, they were they they were good, but not as good as Goose, um, the cat, <laughs> who for me, I'm hoping will be receiving a Best Actor nomination at the 92nd Academy Awards. There should be an award for like an, you know an animal. You know, in a film, best best leading animal. Yeah, but there wouldn't be many nominations, though, would there? there? We'd have Goose and that dog from what was that dog film we saw? A, a Dog's Way Home. A Dog's Way Home. Yeah, There's another dog film. Well, the ducks out. could be nominated <laughs> from yeah. um, the favorite. From the favorite. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so there is one thing I was going to ask you about, Katie. Before we were talking off air, I know you absolutely loved the soundtrack in this. I thought the soundtrack was great. There was loads of '90s music, a lot of '90s female music as well, uh, which I thought was a really good addition uh, to the film. Yeah, so many of my favourite songs growing up. Again, that's a lot of my... my I was listening to my high school years and they were really well used as well. Um, using um, Just a Girl at the moment that they use it, I don't want to say any more because I don't want any spoilers, but that, the moment that song kicks in, it's perfect. So hat, hats off to the editors for that. It was absolutely mm. perfect timing. Speaking of editors or editing or CGI, if we swiftly move it into that way, Nick Fury being de-aged uh, <laughs> or Samuel Jackson being de-aged, mm. um, 70-year-old man to made, made to look 30 years younger. Probably Absolute, more than that. Probably more than 30 years younger. I'm pretty sure you know, it's, it's definitely 30 years. Um, is he looks very young. Said. He does. He looks very young. Um, and they've done uh, painstakingly uh, de-aged him. But, uh, you know, every, frame by frame, they've had to de-age him basically paint his face on is what they've done and <laughs> um, digital makeup as they call it um and I, th- I thought that was excellently done and it's in a way it's you don't good cgi is cgi you don't actually notice mm. in my opinion um and i thought they did a really good job and his interaction with brie larson um carol danvers um i thought they were brilliant together and then but nick fury and goose the cat mm. them two together <laughs> Just yes, I, I, I ship them, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> mm. Interesting fact, though, about Goose. Uh, Brie Larson is actually allergic to cats. I don't know if you didn't know if you know this, Craig. So the scenes involving her and Goose were actually filmed with a puppet, um, which I'd love to have seen. Um, oh, this brilliant. Cat I puppet really hope and, that's a DVD extra. <laughs> <laughs> and, and again, using computer-generated visual effects. Um, but no, overall, I mean, this was, a, this was a pretty solid film. And also, one thing I did want to mention was that fantastic tribute to uh, Stan Lee at the start of the film. Normally, Marvel yes. have all the various uh, MCU characters coming together to make the Marvel sign. And what they did is they actually put the Marvel sign together using all of Stan Lee's cameos in all of the films uh, that he starred in. Um, and I just thought that was really touching, really moving. And and then it had something that it just said, thank you, Stan, or you know, there was a little note, a message. Yeah. And I just thought that was a really nice way uh, to kick this film off. Yeah, no, definitely. The, the first time, the first time I went to see it, I was sitting next to a massive Marvel fan of both the comics and the films, and I had a tear in my eye because I knew how much that meant to him. 
to, mm. to be able to have that moment, like kind of almost like his little moment silence before we went into the film. Um, that really meant a lot to him. And yeah, I had a little tear in my eye at that, definitely. Oh. Uh, <laughs> so, Captain Marvel. I think, I think we should ask the question, unless both of you have anything further that you'd like to add. I do. Go on then. I have more stuff, um, but I could talk all day about this, so you're going to need to get to a point and then shut me up. Um, <laughs> yeah. The one thing that really stuck me stuck with me watching it, um, there's one line that I'm hoping will not be any spoiler, but there's one line, I have nothing to prove to you. That line is so powerful. Um, and that paired with um, another line is, you were the most powerful person I knew where before, where before you had superpowers. Mm. Those two things mm. to me are like, yeah, this is what we need. I can look at that and go, I can be powerful too. I don't need superpowers. She was powerful before she had them. Um, so yeah, I want to take any kind of youngish, impressionable young women, take them to go and see it, and we can have a generation of really powerful women. Go power! <laughs> no, women definitely. power. We're grown ups now. Um, no, that. Do you know what though? That's that's a really great point. I I love the way you've worded that because you know why I think Brie Larson is is so per- perfectly cast for this for this role. She's a very powerful woman off screen. Um, she's quite an outspoken feminist. Um, she's not afraid to say what she thinks and lives by her words as well with with her actions. And you're right, but even before the superpowers, she's a very powerful woman. She's in control, um, and and she's just really awesome. Like just to watch and to to see her unfold, and that's all before she gets these incredible superpowers. Yeah. And I think that's really well done as well because it's not like oh here's you know here's a, a vulnerable woman and now she's got superpowers. You should fear her. Actually, you should fear her before she had the superpowers. The superpowers just make her <laughs> even more awesome. Um, so I think you've 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 hit the nail. Yeah, on I the think head she's there. doing the superhero trope of standing up. Like you know, you see Captain America standing up, you see Wonder Woman standing mm. up. She was standing up before she had the superpowers. Yeah. You know, we we can all be like that. Yeah, and that's why I think it's actually so universal as well. It's it's shows people that you don't have to have superpowers to be powerful at all. You can, yeah. you know, you can have. And you know, an intelligent mind, and still cause a wave of power by change by changing things to mm. you know for the better. And uh, that's why I, re- I really love this film. And I, I don't think I've actually said that yet, but I, I really, really, really love this film. And I want people to go and see this film more than they already have. Mm. Um, it's obviously yeah, smashed the box office, as like we've already said. Um, but I think it will continue to do so, and I think it will continue to be around in the box office maybe just before Avengers Endgame comes will, out. Mm, I, th- I think it will be number one in the box office for many, many weeks. I think it will still be in the box office when Endgame comes out. Um, I think this is going to... Well, it's already done very well, but I can see it continuing to do well. Because like you said, I've, I've, I have only seen it once, by the way. You keep implying I've seen it more than once. This is lies and slander. <laughs> no, no, no. Well, I've seen it more than once. No, but you said that I'd also seen so it more than I. once. <laughs> Did I? Yeah, but it doesn't matter, Craig. I forgive you. Um, but... No, it's it's definitely not only a film you want to see, but uh, a film you want to see more than once, and I intend to see it again. Okay, so I think now we can definitely ask the questions, <laughs> yes. can't we? Okay, Katie, we'll start with you. Captain Marvel, is it worth it? Hell yeah, higher, further, faster, baby. <laughs> yes, that's a yes. Um, yeah. <laughs> David, Captain Marvel, is it worth it? Absolutely brilliant film, 
Brie Larson is superb, and like most Avengers films, see it on the biggest, baddest screen possible. You know, IMAX, IMAX 3D, Screen X, 4DX. Just completely <laughs> immerse yourself in this marvellous world of Captain Marvel. And does what, did one of you want to ask me? Oh, question? yeah, I'll ask you the question. Yeah, Craig, yeah, Captain Marvel. Is it worth it? I mean, I definitely can't say no, can I? Uh, yeah, <laughs> no. of course it's worth it. hundred percent worth it. And um, we are everything you guys have said. I, I agree with. And um, yeah, just go and see it. It's and if you haven't seen it yet, I, I mean, every, anybody who's listening to this podcast have probably seen it, haven't they? Mm. Let's be honest by now. Um, go see it again. Go and see and it then again. go and see it again. Exactly. Mm. Exactly. And then find somebody who hasn't seen it and go and see it again. <laughs> Katie, thank you very much for, for coming on the show and uh, we'll love to have you back again if you, if, if you want to. Yeah, anytime. So that was our review of Captain Marvel. Stick around because we have plenty more reviews coming your way. It's now time for our interview of the week and we'll be speaking to Will Treasure of Factor 2 Podcast, which is brought to you by UKClimbing.com and Matt Meggett, who is a friend of the podcast. Uh, he's a really great climber and actually we've been climbing with him a few times, haven't we? Um, probably pretty disastrous for you, oh, wasn't it? was it? terrible. <laughs> um, but, but Matt is an absolutely incredible climber. He's an absolute machine. I've never really seen that. He was like Spider-Man on performance-enhancing drugs. It was incredible <laughs> to watch. It really was. Um, so we're talking about Free Solo, which was the Oscar-winning documentary this year, and it follows Alex Honnold, a professional rock climber who attempts to conquer the first free solo climb of the famed El Capitan 900-metre vertical rock face, which is located at Yosemite National Park. Um, so let's find out what Will and Matt thought of this film. Uh, Will, we'll start with you first of all. Um, do you want to just give us a bit of a background about yourself and uh, the Factor 2 podcast as well? Yeah, um, so I'm, uh, I, I guess I've trained as a journalist and I came across the idea of wanting to do a podcast um, a few years ago and thought the climbing community is not particularly well served with kind of real storytelling. There's loads of good stories out there written. Uh, so Factor 2 kind of wants to bring sort of structured storytelling and kind of ant so they're, they're climbing stories but usually about something a bit bigger ideally uh and so yeah talking with, with free solo that's exactly my territory i love the idea of why do we take risk and how do we justify these things you know even if you get so much pleasure from it uh, how can you justify putting yourself in in kind of mortal danger just for your own personal pleasure so that's where factor two delves into that kind of thing quite a lot and Matt as well. So you're a climbing enthusiast. You really wanted to come on the show and, and discuss free solo with us. Um, what's your background in terms of climbing? Uh, yeah, so I've, I've been climbing for the last sort of five, six years. Um, a lot less nowadays. And I, I wish I could get to the wall a lot more. But sadly, the drone of day-to-day -day life gets in the way. Um, when I first started, I, I very, very quickly... Uh, Ended up getting outdoors, getting onto trad climbing, and uh, actually headed out to America for a road trip for about three months with my buddy. And uh, that actually included Yosemite. So being able to climb Half Dome and a, a small off-cut of El Capitan was uh, was quite actually a, a great experience. So I've been in the valley and seeing that for real and then seeing exactly what Free Solo was all about, yeah, 
made my sweaty palms even even more sweaty. <laughs> so delving into Free Solo, um, Free Solo is now the Oscar-winning documentary, which recently aired on Neo, uh, National Geographic last week. Um, Will, starting off with yourself, you said you, you've seen this on the big screen. When you first saw this film, what were your thoughts? Um, so I saw it at Kendall uh, when it premiered in the U- UK and it was on a massive screen and you've got like a thousand climbers willing him on as well. So it was amazing. Um, but I'm, you know, I come, I've not climbed in Yosemite. It's a big gap in my CV, but I've been climbing 20 years and I've climbed quite a few things that are similar size to, to El Cap, but not quite the same exposure. And then also I've done a lot of climbing without a rope on. Um, don't tell my mum. But like, yeah, I was, you know, what's going to happen here. Like the, the basic bits of the story, I'm really familiar with Alex Honnold already. Um, you know, I knew a lot about him before this and I knew it was on the cards that he was going to be doing it. And, you know, he succeeded before you even start. But the 20 minutes where it's built up to this moment of him soloing it. And I was sat there, you know, I was, I was literally on the edge of my seat. I was kind of actually gripping it and sort of bouncing up and down my palms were sweating and I just I don't know I was just sort of reveling in knowing what it feels like to be in a position a little bit like that and just thinking god it's like you know my experience times a million and thinking how uh, I love that sensation of control that you have I couldn't imagine for a minute feeling that level of control in the position he's in though because the climbing the the bits they focus on, you know, you've got the the boulder problem pitch, and I was just looking at it, thinking, yeah, even this this was a lot easier. It's not the kind of thing that I would go near without a rope on because it's so tenuous. You know, friction climbing, um, and that, yeah, it's just another world for me. The the level of control for that, but I, I was absolutely blown away. Like the cinematography is amazing, really puts you right there on the face with him, but. Yeah, I felt it delves into some of his motivations quite quite well. And it was interesting to see they're not, for the most part, they're quite different to my own, I think. So we were, me and Matt were discussing earlier the motivation behind sort of climbing in general and, and free solo. And from, from my point of view, I'm, I don't do a lot of climbing, if barely any. I've done a little bit with Matt in the past um, in indoor climbing mainly. And watching free solo, it, it, in a way, kind of put me off. If someone like more Matt, like yourself, you've gone out your way to climb, you know, outdoors and do a bit more adventurous stuff than I've done. Did it encourage you in in a way to want to go out there and climb bigger stuff and be um, a bit more dangerous? No, definitely not more dangerous. And I, I don't know what your experience is, Will, but for me... Sticking to the rope is is a brilliant safety. I love pushing my grades, my ability. And yeah, the, there's been an occasion where I've, I've gone on a very nice, easy climb without a rope, um, probably 20, 30 meters up. Enough that, you know, if there was a fall, it would have consequences. But I, it, it's really hard to sort of justify it to people that don't climb and don't understand the the, the feeling. But it's much more a case of also the ability. So I think you've touched on it just a little bit there, Will. Um, it, it's the so friction climbing on the boulder problem. You you're very prone that if things did go wrong, you have very little control over it. Whereas the experience that I've had free soloing, 
and the very, very little bit of it, it I, I try and avoid it actively, is very, very safe holds, very easy routes. And it's just about sort of enjoying a quick little couple of runs up a, up a crag. But uh, yeah, it's, it definitely, uh, definitely raises the heartbeat. Well, I'm quite curious, actually, what is your sort of background in free soloing and, and sort of climbing? Because obviously that's going to have a real impact on your view. Yeah, um, mine. So I started climbing. Um, I was about 13 or 14 and started climbing at the indoor wall locally. And then when I was about 16 or 17, um, I think one of my mates got a driving license and we bought a rope and started. We just sort of went out and we were self-taught. Um, and I read loads of climbing literature and there was this really romantic idea of like going out and risking your life is somehow this uh, really heroic thing to do. Well, actually, it's a really selfish thing to do, but the climbing community kind of dresses it up quite interestingly, I think. So I, I, t I was totally in love with this idea of like risk, um, not to the extent of I, I didn't want to take uh, what I thought were unjustifiable risks, but I wanted to put myself in positions where the consequences were high, but the chance of failure was maybe low. So I got... Um, I guess when I was about 18, I started free soloing uh, a little bit. I, I think one, I was just one day, my mate had done a route and he took so long building an anchor at the top that I thought he must have fainted or something. Um, so I just started climbing up behind him and I got to the top and yeah, I felt totally in control. And then I got quite, in, I moved up to university and climbed in the Peak District a lot. And just, it's just a, the Peak District is a great place to go out and get, you know, you can climb 50 climbs in a day or in a morning even and on really good solid rock and feel really in control and I just loved that um as I got older I sort of I reached a point where I didn't in, I didn't get quite the same buzz from it um I still do it occasionally but it's not as big a part now how hard were you pushing your clients when you were free soloing is it is it that comfortable climb that you you have no issue about but it was just adding that extra risk factor for more of a reward or was it sort of um, a safer climb for you usually it was stuff that i'd done before or the, or stuff that was low enough grade that i knew there wouldn't be an issue or i could down climb it but i did push it out there was certainly there was a point where i sort of looked at my logbook at what i'd done the previous weekend and i thought ah, shit that's I'm pushing it out a little bit there. Like I'd go up to Stanage and I'd have a circuit of uh, that would include routes up to, I guess, up to E2 um, that I would do quite regularly and solo'd stuff up to E5 on the grip, but kind of stuff that was, it was only getting that higher grade because it was dangerous, not because it was really physically hard. So I wasn't pushing, I, I didn't, I never felt like I was pushing really close to my physical limit um and yeah I, I actually i did end up having an accident um where i fell about seven meters onto my head and uh, got quite quite bad where i could easily have been killed but Gosh. ironically that was an uneasier climb blimey uh, yeah bringing it um uh, <laughs> sort of somewhat back to uh yeah. free solo just back to the that a little bit in terms of controversy in the climbing world um, you did mention this to me before. Um, 
what are your views on that and and the, and the wider community what are their views um about whether free solo is a justifiable thing to do yeah yeah all right like the on the film there um so uh, it there's, there's definitely a thought that alex honnold um seeing 40 would be uh a surprise like he's pushed it so hard all the time with his free soloing that yeah, I don't think anyone would be surprised to see that horrible headline um, that he's messed it up. Uh, there's an element as well that just sees free soloing as like this expression of um, doing what you want, you know, in a really selfish way. And that actually, that's a good thing. You can go out as a climber. No one can make you take the risk, but also no one can stop you. Um, there's a really strong kind of anti-establishment sense in uh in the climbing community over the years uh and certainly that's part of it for me that i really loved free soloing because i was like this is a really naughty thing to do and yeah and i can go out and it's totally up to me what i'm gonna do and i'm in control and i like that i'm not sure when you're being filmed on el cap i'm not sure that you're quite in the same position um but yeah, it's this odd mix of like, I think a lot of climbers looked at him and thought, wow, like someone was going to do it at some point. And he was the obvious obvious candidate. And it's it's kind of this celebrated thing. But I think a lot of people were quite troubled to be like, mm, maybe he'll stop there. Because, it, yeah, it just it's so big and so hard that you just think there's there's no margin for error. Mm. outside of the the climbing community i think a lot of people's views on the film is that it's it's encouraging people to to want to take risks and and climb and 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 perhaps put themselves in that danger and it's obviously those people that don't climb um don't really understand the adrenaline that you get the sensation of as we've already discussed that of completing something and and doing something amazing um you know is it, do you do you think that this is a problem at all or do you think it's 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 you know needs to be celebrated in, in this way um i i think the climbing community has to come to terms with the idea that something can be an amazing athletic or or like mental achievement like this but that we don't have to be unquestioning about it, it you know it's not like right someone's soloed free rider now we need to solo the dawn wall um you know that's totally next level yeah surely no one's ever going to do that um it i oh, don't say that um, you've now set the bar <laughs> sorry don't say that you've now set the bar for someone to <laughs> yeah. crack on with the door yeah, i'm good it's gonna be my fault <laughs> oh can you imagine though but then i suppose like yeah to a non-climber watch because I, I was watching um free solo and thinking hmm the boulder problem pitch that's kind of my bouldering limit um, so I'm like, oh, on paper, I could do that pitch. I'd, you know, I'd not go near it without a rope on. And all the other sections, I was thinking, oh, no, I've done stuff a bit like that. And oh, would I get up that? I was definitely watching it thinking, hmm, I'd like to go and climb Freerider. Um, and I guess for a lot of people who don't climb, they maybe look at it and just think the whole idea of being on that face is crazy. The idea of then doing it without a rope is crazy. It, none of it seems justifiable. Just, uh, you, but you do see the level of care he takes. Go, you know how much he's practiced everything, how well trained he is. The fact that he does go up and turn around. That there's 
it's not a mindless thing. You know, he, uh, Alex Honnold's not just this ad- adrenaline junkie. He's a very considered person and he's, yeah, just for whatever reason, driven to do these crazy things, but in a in a really, um, really kind of thoughtful way. Uh, so I, I think it's interesting just that it gets away from that junk, uh, kind of adrenaline junkie stereotype. Mm. It was interesting in the film that actually there's a moment where they go and visit some doctors and he has some brain scans and it shows that a part of his brain is actually working you know over in in a different way to how other people's brains actually work in terms of if wanting to do these sort of things and 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 you know it, it's almost like a, a genetic thing to do, go and do these things i mean what did you think of that aspect of the film uh i think i wonder if a lot of climbers saw that and thought oh man i wish i could do that and just not but yeah, I just I found that quite hard to relate to because I, I definitely have days where I'm not bothered, I don't get scared, I'm totally confident. But I have a lot of days where just really minor things freak me out for some reason. And I have to you know, I have to sort of go back and think, right, no, it's fine, I've I've got I've done this, this and this, I'm I'm okay. But uh, yeah, loads of climbers will would will experience that. That the the whole idea of doing even with a rope on it can be a big mental challenge sometimes and like being on el cap it's going to be so exposed um so just yeah i i don't know it, it makes sense that he doesn't experience that kind of emotion because it just wouldn't be safe if you did like once you get scared you make bad decisions and you you know you, you try and take easy ways out and you know rationally that there isn't an easy way out but you you try to cut corners like that because you're scared and you don't you don't process it properly. Um, so to be able to switch that off so that you can actually still be totally rational. Um, but the, yeah, I wonder how many people there are in the world who could actually do that. Mm. You know what? I think that's my exact worries and thoughts about this this film, Free Solo, is because it really does reward and sort of shine a, a Hollywood light on how amazing this achievement is and when i was personally in yosemite there was definitely uh guys trying out free soloing for the first couple of times uh giving things a go and perhaps not so experienced but feeling confident because it is what other people do it is a sport of some sort free soloing um so thinking okay well, all i need is shoes all i need is a chalk bag and um well a, a strong heart or a, or a silly mind. I don't, I don't know what it is, but there was definitely encouraged enthusiasm um, when I was personally there, more so than I thought elsewhere for my climbing experience, uh, which was odd. Um, you, you touched on it that it is such a, a selfish act uh, and you can just do, go do it and you're free to... No one can tell you not to, but it is a naughty thing to do, as you you kind of said. I, I definitely feel that with this film and the way it's been shown is going to encourage more people, and that does worry me. I don't know what you think, but... Yeah, yeah. Um, I think the soloing thing is quite interesting because there's a real strong cultural link. Um, if you go elsewhere in Europe... 
and you, even if you just say to a climber there that you you solo stuff like I, I went to Sweden a few years ago um Swedish friends are sort of horrified at the idea that I would solo things and a French friends and in Britain I think there's a there's more of a culture that climbing is about risk and this you know romantic risk taking and yeah it's interesting to hear that actually Yosemite Valley itself is has a bit of that and it's got the history hasn't it? you got all these crazy solos that went yeah. on John Bacar, Peter Croft um you know Dean Potter over the years like big things got done there and which only makes Alex Honnold's achievement seem even more ridiculous that you know that it wasn't like people weren't looking to do this um yeah it it is worrying that it might be especially young there was definitely me being young i i was caught up by that imagery um i very definitely didn't want to be taking really big risks with it but it's easy to get swept away i think i was just impatient really i just wanted to do so much climbing and that was the best way to get loads of climbing done so in terms of uh free solo being a a cinema film um every every week when we review the films we let our our listeners know whether they think the film is worth going to see in the cinema but obviously it's out of the cinema now but it is on national geographic at the minute it is on streaming services so uh will if you'd let our listeners know whether or not you think this is worth seeing uh on on tv or in the cinema um i would see it on the big screen because the cinematography just yeah the experience of being on El Cap in those positions yeah big screen is the the way to go for that so in the cinema so definitely worth seeing in the cinema Matt what yeah. about yourself absolutely no matter what your experience sadly I didn't manage to get it in the cinema myself uh I commitments uh got in the way but uh definitely without a doubt you have to see this film I've not experienced a movie like this to cause me such anxiety such love passion even if you're not a climber, just to see how stunning this accomplishment is, is, yeah, sweaty palms, gripping the sofa mm. all the way through. 100%. Yeah. I mean, for myself as well, I mean, I think everybody that I've spoken to have, who has watched the film has said that they've come away with sweaty palms um, from watching from watching it. And I, I, it's almost like a universal thing from watching it. It in, engages your, your sweaty palms. It's a bit strange, really, but it's um, it's a brilliant film. And, and I agree, it should be seen on, on the biggest screen possible. But if you can't get round to seeing it in the cinema, because I know not many places are still playing it at the minute, um, it's worth just trying to source it on, on TV. And I know just, just National Geographic had it, so it should be on um, streaming services to watch. But yeah, fantastic film. Um, so thank you very much, uh, Will, for joining us on this week's show. And Matt as well, thank you for joining me in the studio. Um, and if you uh, want to check out uh, more of Will's stuff, you can check it out on ukclimbing.com. Is it also available on all the other places as well, like uh, iTunes yeah. and whatnot? Yeah, iTunes, Spotify, any good podcast app, it should be available on. Brilliant. And it's Factor 2, isn't it? Factor 2, yeah. Brilliant. Thank you very much. And Free Solo is uh, available on National Geographic at the moment. It probably is available on Catch Up. Um, but if you want to watch it, if you're unav unable to watch it on Catch Up, you can buy it now on iTunes, Amazon, etc. for digital download. So that was our interview of the week. The adventure of the cinema being swept from scene to scene, from underwater exploration to otherworldly intergalactic space travel. 
for just $17.90 a month, you can see unlimited films at Cineworld Cinemas anytime, any day. Get 10% off cinema food and drink, plus 10% off at Cineworld Starbucks. Enjoy 25% off food and drink at Yo Sushi, Cafe Rouge, Bella Italia, La Iguana, La Tasca, and Belgo. Plus, there's preview screenings of upcoming releases and secret screenings throughout the year. With films like Captain Marvel, Toy Story 4, Godzilla 2, King of the Monsters, John Wick 3, Aladdin, and Pet Cemetery, now is a great time to join. Use the code ISITWORTHIT, and that's all one word, and get £10 off your first month's payment, making it just £7.90. So why not join today at cineworld.co.uk? It's now time for our second review of Week 31, and it's Cold Pursuit. Uh, Nels Coxman's quiet life as a snowplough driver comes crashing down when his beloved son dies under mysterious circumstances. His search for the truth soon becomes a quest for revenge against a psychotic drug lord named Viking and his sleazy henchmen. Transformed from upstanding citizen to cold-blooded vigilante, Coxman unwittingly sets off a chain of events that includes a kidnapping, a series of deadly misunderstandings and a turf war between Viking and a rival boss. Let's take a listen to a clip. Dante says hello. I don't know any Dantes. Yes, you do. He worked at the Kehoe Airport with my son, Kyle. You know him too. Tell me what happened. All right, Pops, there's the door, all right? Now, I don't know what igloo you crawled out of, but I think it's time you crawled back in. And trust me, that's your uh, best move. So you'd be mistaken from the trailer that this might be another Taken, Taken 1, Taken 2, Taken 3, Taken 4 sort of style film (laughs) with some more humour perhaps. And uh, you wouldn't be wrong. The trailer certainly suggests that, doesn't it? Um, Hans-Peter Moland is his name, is the director. Uh, He's remaking his own film for the Hollywood audience here. And it's this adaption in a way um, of his 2015 thriller in Order of Appearance, it's called. Um, I've not actually seen this, um, so I'm judging... Cold Pursuit as its own film and the Mm. film opens with a quote from Oscar Wilde uh, which hints that this might not be your normal Liam Neeson film um, or Liam Neeson thriller anyway Mm. Um, and I went in expecting this to be one film and actually came out seeing it as something very very different Um, it packed a lot into this film Mm. Um, there's a lot of unique side characters which have some really great lines but I felt the humour somewhat fell flat um, for the most part anyway Um, but where it stands out it is almost it's it's downfall it uses many non-typical cinema stereotypes of gangs and embellishes them to be this more, just just more, and explores them a lot more than perhaps are necessary for the film that we're expecting. And for instance, the the gang rivals, um, you go into a lot of somewhat backstory to them, or you see them a lot more than you would necessary um, for a Liam Neeson thriller. Um, and and in some regards, I like that. And in others, it wasn't so good because mm. they ha- tend to have the more comedic elements in there. And I felt that like the film fell short in the comedic elements. If you took those out 
perhaps this film might have been better. But that's not saying that I didn't enjoy this film because I did actually enjoy it. And I think your opinion differs mm. in that in that regards. Yeah, so for me, this isn't a bad film. This is not a badly made film. Uh, the performances in it aren't bad. Um, and that's reflected in the uh, Rotten Tomato score. It gets a 70% score from the critics, but only a 50% score from the audience. And I think the reason for that is this is quite a confused film. Uh, and what do I mean by that? Well, it it tries to adopt a sort of Coen Brothers kind of feel mm. um, where it takes... Um, a fairly simple event and things get more and more out of hand. If you watch a lot of Coen Brothers films, things get progressively more and more ridiculous and that's what happens here. Um, Liam Neeson's son uh, dies and I'm not saying that's a small event but that's what happens and then what happens after that? It just gets more and more out of hand uh, uh, culminating in a, a drug turf war. Um, and it has this sort of dark comedy uh, and I find the film really tonally inconsistent. It swings from trying to be serious yeah so trying to be that taken i am a father i will have vengeance sort of thing to almost slapstick farcical comedy um and and the way it trans you know transites i don't know if that's a word the way it mo- <laughs> i've just made a word up the way it moves from those from the from the serious nature to the comedy nature i don't think really works um the violence in this is really grisly and i think too over the top um, and it juxtaposes this with some sort of strange character development uh, and some sort of really quite confused dialogue. And what you're left with is is not a bad film. Um, visually, I think some of it's quite nice on the eye. Uh, some of the acting performances are very, very solid. I really mm-hmm. like Tom Bateman's performance as Viking, this drug lord. Uh, and it reminded me of Heath Ledger's Joker in some ways. Some of the mannerisms he has, particularly his, his voice... He comes across as sort of a narcissist and in many ways borderline psychotic. Like he's unhinged and when you're watching his character you don't really feel very safe. He's very um, trigger happy or so's his whole gang. Um, And he has this sort of drug rivalry with the um, uh, Native Americans. And it's it's an interesting film, but I just feel it's it trivialises death for one. So a lot of people die in this, and it goes down a bit of a Wesley Nielsen kind of uh, feel uh, feel, in the sense that he breaks his films down into chapters, and that's what this film does. Every who's Wesley Nielsen? Wes, Wes Anderson. <laughs> Wesley Nielsen. Wes Anderson. I am so sorry. Um, I'm 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 thinking of um, who is Wesley Nielsen? I have no idea. <laughs> Where's Anderson? I am really that is disastrous. Right, let me let me we'll keep that in because it's quite funny. Where's Anderson? Grand Budapest Hotel, Isle of Dogs. That Wes Anderson, yes. not Wesley Nielsen. <laughs> um, that you know where he breaks his films down into chapters, and they try and do that in this film mm. with with the death of many of the main characters. But I don't feel like that works. It's almost like it tries to be funny, but it isn't actually funny. Yeah. Um, and the, the the film feels a bit confused. I feel like I haven't seen the original, but I feel like the original probably worked and they've tried to make it mainstream in Hollywood and they've gone a bit too mainstream in Hollywood. And the last thing I would say is like, Liam Neeson must be sick of this. He really must be sick of it. I mean, before his scandal, he did say that this would be his last action movie. After his scandal, I'm pretty sure it will be his last action movie. But he, he was Liam Neeson again, but... It just had a feeling of a man who was fed up of doing this kind of, of, of film. Some of the plot 
was was ludicrous. Mm. You know, um, without giving too much away, just Liam Neeson discarding many, many frozen bodies wrapped in chicken wire off the top of a huge um, sort of half-frozen waterfall. You know, just casually just hurling them off. And, you know, it's... I can understand that he wants vengeance. He normally does. But, you know, he saws a shotgun in half and shoots someone in the middle of a, a, a wedding dress shop. It's things like that. It's, it's just over the top. It, it doesn't need to be. The best bit, actually, is Liam Neeson's relationship with Viking's son. I don't want to say too much about that. But that actually tugs on the heartstrings a bit. You actually see Liam Neeson performing there, giving a good acting performance, a dramatic performance, an emotional performance, which is much better than him just running around murdering people, um, which is w- what he seems to be doing in most of his recent films. Yeah, I mean, what I've got down in my notes here is, is Neeson is typical Neeson, really, in this film. But he has a lot more to work with in some regards. And this is certainly better than The Commute and some of his other films of last year but it's still not his finest work and it's it's almost like he's typecast in this role now and I'm glad to hear that you said that this probably will be his last action film mm. because I want to see him in something different and I think he needs to consider the roles that he's being given mm. and take on what will be good work pieces of work and mm. perhaps this had an intriguing script it, perhaps he's seen the original and thought maybe mm. this could be good um, but obviously it fell somewhat short from what we were expecting um, actually what we were respecting was something completely different perhaps because the trailer did show one thing and we did kind of get something different Mm. from it um for me the film is worth a watch i enjoyed Mm. it more than i thought i did um it's as you said it's been enjoyed by critics more on rotten tomatoes you said the 70 percent liked it 58 percent of audiences enjoyed it Mm. it was that's a strange number really of uh, critics liking it i think maybe perhaps i thought it would be a bit lower than that and maybe in the reverse mm. especially how well it's doing in the box office um, but I can see why. I mean, I'm I'm not surprised with the audience score of fifty percent. I am slightly surprised with the critic score of seventy percent. But I think the reason why some critics have liked this is because the director's been quite ambitious. Like I said, with his, you know, the feel of a Coen Brothers film or or a Wes Anderson film, and visually some of it is good, and some of the some of the little set pieces, some of the dialogue works, mm-hmm. um, and some of the comedy lands. And it's an ambitious film, and it tries to to do a lot of things and for that it deserves respect and I think the critics have, have realised that but for me it it, it doesn't work it, it, it's not an awful film but it's not a great one at the same time yeah so David uh, Cold Pursuit is it worth it? <sighs> this is tough <laughs> I'm going to say no um, I, I don't think it's it's worth going to see in the cinema. I think when it comes out on streaming services, um, and it has the feel of a film that really will come out on streaming services, it's the sort of thing you can chuck on in an evening, watch it in your jogging bottoms, and uh, and probably enjoy it. I, I just don't think it's worth going to see in the cinema. Actually, in terms of its overall feel, it's not something I think needs to be seen on the big screen. Um, some of the... Um, action thrillist elements to it particularly the shootouts and stuff they're not actually that over the top and dramatic it's not a commuter where things everything explodes so i think you can watch this at home 
Um, it's an interesting film. It's an ambitious film. For me, it doesn't work, and it's not worth seeing in the cinema. If you asked me that question last week, perhaps I would have said yes. Um, but now we have some more interesting films in the cinema. Um, I don't think it is worth it, and there are certainly better films that you can see now, um, obviously with Captain Marvel being one of them, um, and certainly is more interesting and more spectacular to see on the big screen. And as you said, streaming services, wait for it to come out on there and watch it on there. So that was our review of Cold Pursuit. Yes, that's right. It's now time for the news. And my first piece of news is rather interesting and something that's quite exciting, actually. It's that Ralph Fiennes is up for playing Voldemort again in Fantastic Beasts. Now, I would like to clarify that this isn't news that Ralph Fiennes will be playing Voldemort in uh, one of the three upcoming uh, Fantastic Beasts films. It's just the fact that he said he would like to. Um, He said that he actually feels a real affection for Voldemort. He's played him a number of times. He's really got into the character uh, and he would love to play him again. Um, So obviously me and Craig have been talking about this because is it news? Not necessarily, but it's it's exciting Um, when you've got someone of Ralph Fiennes quality saying they're willing to play Voldemort again and you still have three Fantastic Beast films to come. uh, I think the producers, the directors, the people involved in that... um, Fantastic Beast Kingdom would be very, very silly not to give that man the opportunity to come back as a young Voldemort, i.e. Tom Riddle, uh, and really try and cleverly piece it back in. Maybe get young Hagrid in as well, I don't know. Harry Potter's parents, possibly. Snape. I mean, so many opportunities. There is, um, actually, yeah. You know, you think about it, and why not? Why not add something that really pieces the Harry Potter franchise in with the Fantastic Beasts, and, fingers crossed, hopefully leads... Uh, to some more Harry Potter films or books because I still think there's lots of work to be done there. And oh. I'm not even a massive Harry Potter fan. I just think there's so much potential for, for more of Tom's Chili. <laughs> you know, people <laughs> of, of the show who haven't listened to that will not understand that <laughs> whatsoever. Um, and there's no point even explaining it. Go back and listen to previous shows if you yeah. want to. Uh, so my piece of news I've got, I don't know if you've heard, David, but James mm. Gunn, has mm. been reinstated by Disney to direct Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Oh, wow. Yeah, so uh, James Gunn was removed for inappropriate tweets um, that he tweeted probably 10 years before even being a big show director. Um, and uh, they removed it after it came to light. Um, and uh, we spoke about it on a previous episode. And it it's difficult because people do change. Um, you know, t- tweets from over 10 years ago will not reflect the type of person that they have become and grown with over time. And I think it's a wise decision for... Uh, Disney to reinstate him. However, he did go. He is currently finishing Suicide Squad. Mm. Uh, so um, the first Suicide Squad uh, came out with Will Smith, etc. And James Gunn is now doing the sequel. But however, it's not going to be a sequel. This is following on. This is another piece of news. But James so Gunn's Suicide news. Squad is actually going to be a total reboot. They're starting Suicide Squad again. Um, rehashing that again. DC really are not very... Decisive. Decisive, no. <laughs> and they're not very well structured like Marvel mm. are. Marvel have like a 50-year plan, I'm yeah, sure. I was about to say the exact forward. same thing. And DC seem to be, in the moment, 
connecting their films together in a really bad way. Mm. They're, they're, yeah, indecisive, but also very volatile Mm. um, because they're so behind Marvel. They're making rash decisions. I I totally agree. And James Gunn can salvage this, Mm. but I can't see it fitting in in the wider DC universe. It'll probably be a great standalone film, like Christopher Nolan's Batman trilogy is a standalone film. Not doesn't connect to any of the other DC films. Uh, Watchmen doesn't connect with any of the other DC um, films in comic book wise. And and um, yeah, I mean the other ones that do connect, they're not, they're not great, are, are they? Aquaman, Justice League, mm. um, Batman versus Superman, Superman. Some of them are work standalone, but they were poor and. If anyone can save this part of DC, it's going to be James Gunn. I think so, Suicide Squad's a great example of something that looks brilliant in the trailer um, and then sort of fails to deliver uh, come the main event. Um, but D- DC are struggling. Um, I mean, the films they're producing aren't great, let's be honest, but Marvel is so far ahead of them. Mm. Um, it, it's, it's, there's no comparison. There, there really isn't. You know, I like my food comparisons. I can't even come up with one. It's like... A choice between a fillet steak and dust. Well, I was going to say it's like a choice between um, a Tesco finest sausage and <laughs> Tesco value sausages. That probably isn't pork at all. It's yeah, just some I know what you mean. It's meat. still a sausage, but you know, if you were to get scientists to examine the sausage, they it's would probably find some horrors in there. Yeah, well, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that sort of no comparison. doubt. Um, another bit of news for me. It's not formal news. It's just that um, today and or yesterday. Um, possibly yesterday, the Toy Story 4 trailer, the full trailer, dropped. Mm. Uh, Now, I watched it today for the first time, and me and Craig have got really different opinions about the trailer. I found the trailer disappointing. I was concerned. Um, Some of the animation looked not very Toy Story. It looked a little bit too crisp. Now, I know Pixar, the original Toy Story was 1995, so it's come on a long way. Um, Bo Peep has had a makeover so the original Bo Peep it's actually a completely it's the same character but she's been redone if that makes sense as in um, do you think she's the same toy but a different version of yes the toy? it's 100% the same toy but they've given her a more modern feel um, the reasons behind that I'm not 100- well what, I'm, what I mean by same toy is like it's not Andy's Bo Peep it's a different Bo Peep I know. I believe it is Andy's Bo Peep. I'm. I'm pretty sure. Because yeah, um, I took from the trailer that it might be Bo Peep, but a different Bo Peep. I. Well, now we're going off on a mad tangent. I know, but um, I loved it. I loved it. David. No, I, I thought really I was concerned by the trailer, but I have to stick with my formula. And trailers that are long and often you go, wow, that looks like a good trailer. Often the film doesn't live up to it because they show you the best bits in the trailer. I'm hoping that Disney's gone for a bit of a. Uh, a curveball here. Mm. What they've done is they've given us a trailer that they know doesn't give much away. The trailer isn't actually that good and there's going to be a real powerful emotional ending that none of that's in the trailer. I'm hoping the first hour of the film is what's in the trailer and it's going to be a big twist and a big curveball. I've got a couple of predictions about where I think the film will go um, and I look forward to seeing if they come true. (laughs) Not going to reveal that now then. I, I could if you want. Nah, let's reveal it at a later date. Let's nearer the time. Trailer two. Trailer. There'll be another. There'll be another. Yeah, trailer. I don't. I don't need another trailer to say where I think the film's going. But um, I think our good old. All I'll say is I think Andy will have a very important part to play in the end of this film. Okay. Um, but I'm so nervous, but so excited for I know, Toy you can Story. Tell 4. your face is 
Because yeah, I, I was yeah. terrified to go into Toy Story 3. I just thought, don't ruin it, don't ruin it. And I and I loved it. I thought it was brilliant. I thought they'd wrapped it up, but here we go, Look, Toy Story I, 4. I genuinely think this is going to be very good. I laughed at pieces of the trailer. and I don't think they've put everything in there that's going to be in the film, possibly. Mm. No, I totally Which agree. follows on a little bit, actually, to my next bit of news, where Disney... It's just, it's just Disney news, isn't it? Um, Avengers Endgame... Mm trailer dropped the second one and the russo brothers have actually said there is footage in this trailer that will not be in the film and people were kicking off a little bit about that but i think it's a great fantastic idea you know you know we don't want the film to be spoiled we we want to go into the film always blind um so by tricking us as to what the film is going to do and how it's going to go about doing that by giving us a trailer that shows very small snippets but won't even end up in the film i think is brilliant and i'm hoping that disney do this for more of their movies to be fair um you know it's i mean disney are now own everything as of midnight yesterday they now own 100% 20th Century Fox. Mm. That deal has now been dropped. Yeah, I so did they see know, that in the news. They now own everything. Everything. From but, Avatar to Deadpool mm. to X-Men to just so much. Mm. But do you know what the interesting thing is, Craig? I've told you this off air. Do you know what my Avengers Endgame trailer would be? Nothing. Avengers Endgame. In St. Mars in April. That would be it. <laughs> you don't need any more. You just don't need any more. We know... Look, anyone who wants to see Avengers Endgame will go and see Avengers Endgame. I plead with the powers that be. I hope that they don't release anything. What they've given us so far is perfect. I don't want to see it. I don't want to see it. I want to wait and for the big finish, the big reveal. You know, a magician never reveals his tricks. They don't need to. Um, long trailers often mean bad films. Mm. Have you got any more news? And in other news, a woman aged 104 has been arrested by police at a care home. To fulfil bucket list wish. And that was the news brought to you by Is It Worth It? The Film Review Podcast. So it's now time for our next review and it's The Aftermath. Uh, this is set in 1946 and Rachel Morgan arrives in the complete ruins of Hamburg, Germany, where she is to be reunited with her husband, Louis, who was a British colonial charged with rebuilding the city. Uh, they set off for their new home and Rachel is stunned to discover that Louis has made an unexpected decision. Uh, and they will be sharing the grand house where they're going to be living with its previous owners, a German widower and his troubled daughter. And in this charged atmosphere, grief gives way to passion and betrayal. Uh, let's take a listen to a clip. That's not necessary. You've got grit in it. going to hurt. You've been avoiding me. Have I? I don't think so. I was going to apologize. 
For what? Don't. I was going to. But I won't. I'm going to kick us off by saying I was pretty disappointed with this film. Um, the trailer looks really interesting, actually. Craig knows that I love a, a drama, a historical drama. Uh, I love the idea of focusing on the aftermath of war, the effect it has on people, and particularly the idea of having a film in Germany after the war and seeing um, mm. the response of German military, the response of the German people and the Brits serving out in Germany. Um, the, the cast is brilliant um, with uh, Kieran Knightley and Jason Clarke. Um, but unfortunately, this is a really confused film. Um, visually, there's some very impressive uh, scenes in it um, and some bits that I really enjoy. And I, I wanted to like this film and I did like parts of it. However, it feels so rushed. Um, the film is based on the book with the same name by Riddy and Brooke. And actually... Just watching this film, I can see that this is a, a a novel that you would want to read. It would be a real page turner because the the themes in it, the ideas in it, are great. Mm -hmm. But it's it's not atonement in the sense that it hasn't gone from the from from a book to the big screen in a, in a visually um, impressive way, in an emotionally impactful way. It just feels a bit empty. the The main characters, their relationships, don't feel real. Kira Knightley plays Rachel Morgan and Jason Clark uh, plays Lewis Morgan. So they're husband and wife. It's the second time they've actually been on screen together um, playing husband and wife after their collaboration in Everest uh, in 2015. And their relationship doesn't feel right, but that that's the idea. He's been away serving his country uh, during the war. She's been at home looking after um, their only child um, and the film really develops and expands on that broken relationship. And I, I don't want to give any spoilers away here, but um, it does that reasonably well. But the, the problem doesn't lie in their relationship. It lies in the fact that they go out to Germany and they stay in um, a German man's house uh, called Stefan Lubert, who's played by Alexander Skarsgård. Um, and, and this is where the film starts to break down, actually. Kira Knightley's uh, character has a interesting relationship with this German gentleman. I'll say no more. And it <laughs> feels incredibly rushed. It feels like, oh, we've got a novel here. We've got a brilliant novel. Oh, how are we going to cram this into the film? And their relationship is really odd and off and they don't seem to like each other at all. And then the next minute, their relationship is swipped. Swipped? <laughs> is that a bit, a, a Switched combined, and flipped. Yeah, but their relationship's flipped almost to a polar opposite of that. And it feels very rushed, and it doesn't feel real at all. This love triangle, so to say, doesn't feel real. It it just doesn't. And I don't think that's the fault of Kira Knightley or Skarsgård or Clark. Actually, I think it's the script, and it's the way the film's been directed, and it's the way the film's been edited. You know, this has a real feel of a film that needed to be either longer or, or not made at all, in the sense that. It tried to do so much in 
such a short period of time that it actually doesn't achieve anything. Yeah, it's almost like it needed to be a TV series. Yes. And, and you've mentioned that before to mm. me before we were recording, and I can completely see that as well. What I really liked about this film from watching the trailer was that I was looking forward to seeing it from a different point of view that we don't really get to see post-war Germany um, literally just straight after the war. And I was looking forward to seeing how the Germans coped with that and how they came, the British um, and all the other countries came to help rebuild the country and, and prepare it for the future in a sense. And we didn't get a real sense of that in this film um it, it, it's unfortunate because that's where the key elements of the film should have gone down um and as you said it's the adaption an adaption of, of, a, of a novel and they've tried to cram in a lot of characterization mm. in the film and and failed to build upon all of the key things that we really wanted to see everything seemed rushed everything so every element of the mm. film um and as you said the relationship between Kira Knightley's character and Alexander Skarsgård's character didn't play out very well it was it was one thing one minute and the next it was something else incredibly mm. quickly yeah and didn't suspend my belief um but I, I still felt that they acted it well they mm. they presented themselves from what they had uh, Material-wise, they still performed in a in a pr brilliant manner, and I really liked the Claire de Lune being played in the film, and I thought that was done really delicately and and beautifully. Mm. And um, if Kira Knightley was playing that for real, and I'm pretty sure she was, it was done really well. Um, and it, it's just the parts I really wanted to see, as I said, was was the uh, the Germans mm. coping with destruction of Hamburg and how they were going to demilitarize or de-Nazism, I suppose, if that's a word. <laughs> that's the, definitely not a word. It's not a word, but it's something that I, I wanted to see more of and, and, and learn about it a bit more. Mm. Even if it would be made up in some respects, there could have been some history in there that, that, that was real. Um, but yeah. Yeah, no, you make a valid point. The aftermath, it's certainly... The title suggests, like you said, we're going to be looking at the German people, how 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 they respond to the end of the war. Because we see a lot of films from our perspective, from a British perspective, from an American perspective. We, we don't see many films. Um, downfall, obviously, uh, is one from a German perspective, particularly a German military perspective. Mm. But we don't see many films from a German citizen perspective. And we do see a bit of that in here, and we see the British going around trying to work out who was... Um, a member of the Nazi party who was uh, a supporter of Adolf Hitler, and they do touch upon that, but they don't do it enough. So it's not political enough, it's not historical enough, and it goes down this melodrama route. But that feels false as well, and it, it feels very confused to me. They try to show the futility of war, and in many ways they do do that, and they do that quite well when they touch upon it, but they don't do it enough, mm. um, and ultimately the, the film feels futile the film feels a little bit pointless they just don't seem to drive it home enough in in the elements that we really want to see i mean director james kent um has worked on unconventional films to do with war before so it he directed the world war one tragedy um testament of youth which i really loved it had uh mm. um, Alec, um alicia vikander in it and kit harrington and you, you find a similar fresh angle here, but it just, as we said, it just didn't 
it didn't work. And it's it's down to that love triangle that mm. it seems to run away with that side of things um, and not explore the other elements enough. Um, like we said, for, for a film like this to work, you have to believe the characters. You have to get to know the characters. And I did believe some of the characters' elements, so their their struggle to adapt to life after war, the struggle yes. of, of losing loved ones in war. Um, and that's a theme they really touch upon in this film. So they 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 got that right. So some of the themes they got right, but the actual relationship triangle, the love triangle, it, it felt unreal. It felt I was very aware that I was in the cinema, and what it needed was more time. I imagine if you were reading this in the novel, that this character or these characters would have been developed, whereas you didn't have that yeah. in the film. It it had a real feel of it needed to be an eight part. BBC series and let's and let's be honest the the Rotten Tomatoes scores show this 43% of the audience like this film which I think's about fair um I didn't hate it but then again I, I like this kind of movie but the critics have panned this badly 27% um and and you know there's something wrong with the film if it you know it's got a great source material it's got three fantastic uh, actors in it and and it and it and it really does um miss the mark yeah i mean the other thing that i wanted to touch upon was the actors or well, not the actors but the characters within the film it's it's all sort of led from our main protagonists including um the daughter as well and perhaps it went too far down seeing things from their eyes it needed some sort of different approach mm. to what the novel obviously had. The novel obviously went down the road of being, um, seeing things from their eyes, but we needed to have a, a, a wider angle to this film and the approach where the, the narrative perhaps had a, a narrator almost um, and seeing it as a wider view and mm. then zooming into these characters and the, their characterizations. For me, um, I'm not sure this film was worth it for me. Mm. Um it, as you said, definitely um, should have been a TV adaption or a, you know, high budget Amazon Prime series mm. like um, Vikings. Have you seen Vikings on, on Amazon Prime? I mean, they spend a lot mm. of money on that and it develops over five series. Mm. That's even a word, but um, it, it really does play out very well. The characters develop, the, the history develops and you learn an awful lot over time. And this is what this needed. It needed to be developed over a, an awful lot of time mm -hmm. and it, it just didn't have the time to, to, to do that. Yeah. Um, so for me, it's not worth it. So Craig, the aftermath, <laughs> is it worth it? No. <laughs> Ask me the question. David, the aftermath, is it worth it? Uh, I'm also a no. Like Craig said, I totally agree. It needed to be a series, if not slightly longer film. And if they didn't want to make it a longer film, they needed a tighter edit, a better cut, because there's a number of scenes in this film that aren't necessary. There's a few characters that are developed and then left alone. Um, visually, though, it is quite impressive. Some of it is really well shot um, and parts of it work. But overall, I came out feeling quite disappointed. And there was one one uh, bloke that has obviously uh, gone to see this uh, in my screen with, with his wife. And uh, I won't say what he said, but there was a lot of uh, swear words involved, and he he certainly didn't enjoy it during the film or afterwards. Uh, a bit of both. I mean, he oh, was no. he was grumbling during the film. I think he thought this was going to be a war film. I think she'd said, "Yeah, the aftermath. It's a a post a, a post war film set in Germany, and Kira Knightley's in it." Whoa, he was like, "Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> oh dear." And um, yeah, and last thing, some of the love elements or scenes in it. 
are, they just feel like they're thrown in. They don't feel real. They just, oh, let's throw Kira Knightley with very little clothing on again. Just just chuck that in there. Well, they were very, um, they were, well, there wasn't many clothes involved, but was it? Was, it, it was, was very, very dramatic. Over-dramatized. It tried yes. to be very heated and sexual and romantic, and it didn't feel like that. It, it didn't work, this film. It's not worth seeing in the cinema. Is it worth it? Cinema at home. Yes, that's right. It's time for Is It Worth It? Cinema at home. And I'm going to be doing this on my own. David is currently shuffling multiple pieces of paper at his uh, job. And he uh, hasn't actually seen these films either. So it has fallen upon me to review two of the cinema at home features this week and the first of which is going to be serenity so serenity what is this film about well baker dill is a fishing boat captain who leads tours off the tranquil enclave of plymouth island his peaceful life is soon shattered when his ex-wife karen tracks him down Desperate for help, Karen begs Baker to save her and their young son from her abusive husband. She wants him to take the brute out for a fishing excursion, then throw him overboard to the sharks. Thrust back into a life that he wanted to forget, Baker now finds himself struggling to choose between the right and wrong. Let's have a listen to a clip. You made it all the way up to the cannery before you decided to turn around and see me. Why'd you come, Dill? What do you think? Well, it's just I heard you went to the mercantile bank this morning. Who'd you get? Carter. How'd you do? I've come since you know damn well I did. Around here, everybody knows everything. Well, I heard the bank refused to extend your loan. So now, you can't even afford gas. I'm just a little hurt you got all the way as far as Joe's place before you decided on the last resort. Baker Dill, you're no more than a hooker. Hooker who can't afford hooks. So this film has a fundamental flaw, and it is it comes with a poor man's M. Night twist. Yes, M. Night, the man who brought us glass uh, a few weeks ago. Um, and uh, I'm not a big fan of M. Night, and I'm not a big fan of this uh this twist either. It essentially ruins the entire film and it forces the actors to act in a certain way. Um, when the reveal of this twist happens, um, and it can it can easily be guessed as well, um, it's revealed in the typical Hollywood sh- uh, tell but not show. Although it does show some bits of it throughout the film, uh, the showing elements just look terrible. Uh, it is a complete shame. It has an absolutely amazing cast. Um, we've got uh, Anne Hathaway in in there. Matthew McConaughey uh, is the lead actor in this film. Uh, we've also got uh, Diane. You've also got Diane Lane and Jason Clark. Um, and it it could have been a real character study, um, and it could have been a very compelling movie without this twist. Uh, Stephen Knight writes and directs, and he's known for writing some absolutely amazing films. You've got Locke, uh, Dirty Pretty Things, and, and even uh, some Peaky Blinders as well. Um, and we have this outstanding cast, 
and wrapped up in this really nice character study, as I said. But it's that twist. Yeah, it's almost like the the source material for these actors is just poor. The directing is poor. And we're left with just perplexed actors not really grasping what it is that they're in. Some of the lines from Anne Hathaway are supposed to be intense, but are really quite laughable, to be honest with you. You know, props tonight for experimenting, but it's pushing no boundaries. It's a high-budget Black Mirror episode, but one that falls short of meeting groundbreaking social boundaries. Most Black Mirror movies or Black Mirror episodes are within the realm of possibility. But I was not invested one bit. And uh, Matthew McConaughey even goes full on Nick, Nick Cage in this film. Perhaps it's worth a watch just for that. So is it worth watching at all? Um, probably not. It's it's on Now TV and, uh, you know, it was a Sky Movies production, same as... Uh, uh, life itself, uh, straight to straight to Now TV and Sky Cinema, because it's poor. That is all I'm going to say about it. And uh, yeah, let's move swiftly on to our next review, which is Triple Frontier. What is this movie about? Well, it's about former Special Forces operatives reunite to plan a heist in a sparsely populated multi-border zone of South America. For the first time in their prestigious careers, these unsung heroes undertake this dangerous mission for themselves instead of the country. But when the events take an unexpected turn and threaten to spiral out of control, their skills, their loyalties and their morals are pushed to a breaking point in an epic battle for survival. This film is currently available on Netflix. And uh, let's take a listen to a clip. Hope I have kids over here. Does he have kids living in here with him? Is this going to make things a whole lot more complicated and is not what I signed up for? The family's not the problem. They're the answer. Why? Church. Maria is very devout. Every Sunday morning, he sends three guards to the 6 a.m. service. When they get back, he sends the rest of the team along with his family into town to mass. That leaves him and three guards in that house. And that's our window. Why would he do that? Worried about someone taking his kids. And he never leaves his money. And also, I don't think he believes anyone actually has the balls to come out here and rob. So this movie has been in development since 2010, so it's been played with troubles in and out of uh, various reasons. So Triple Frontier was directed by J.C. Shander uh, and has been a fairly rocky time getting itself together, losing big names such as Tom Hardy, Mahasha Ali, Channing Tatum, Mark Wahlberg, and even Tom Hanks and Johnny Depp were attached at one point or another. And I don't think I can really see myself uh, watching a movie with Tom Hanks in this position, now I've seen it with Oscar Isaacs, Ben Affleck, Charlie Hunnam, Pedro Pascal and Garrett Hedlund. Um, this film has what it takes to be brilliant. The cast, the adventure, the action, the heist. Um, visually, the film is very enjoyable and very well executed and some very well executed set pieces as well. The first act is essentially Oscar Isaacs gathering up his ex-army colleagues, convincing and manipulating them into doing something for themselves for a change, while also using their skills to essentially take out a drug lord and actually take all of his money, which is estimated to be $75 million. Uh, the second act is them discussing how, why, when they'll do it. And uh, with Ben Affleck constantly wallowing, it seems, in his own self-pity, backwards and forwards, questioning everything, the heist happens, and Affleck then just becomes this man possessed sorry, and poised on snatching all of the money. And it's just, it's, it, it almost seems out of character from how he was in the first act. 
Um, the second act, he has this wild change of personality. Uh, and in the first act, they escape. And the the escape, things go very wrong. Uh, and then they go really wrong. And then it gets even worse. And then Affleck becomes a complete arsehole. Uh, and then that... It, it, then it gets even worse and some more terrible things happen. And I don't want to say because it will obviously spoil the film. Uh, and then it ends. Um, and then, it, you know, it's all that build up to the heist that I, that I relatively enjoyed and the planning, etc. And it was nice to see some intelligent planning for once. You see in other movies like in Oceans and stuff, it almost seems very far-fetched. But this had a very military feel to it in terms of like you know ben affleck was the planner he knows how to plan a heist he knows how to plan uh, a military movement in in a sense and it was very intelligently done um it, and it, it, it was, it's just nice to see it play out in that way um the escape part of the movie is where the movie falls short in in regards to building everything up to only crescendo to a bit of a, a nothing ending it seemed non-consequential at the end uh, for most of the team um, I wanted to see the wider impact of what they did and how it would play out slightly further after how it did end. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the film was shot on an Arri Alexa 65, and this is the first film to utilise the full-frame 6.5K resolution in a unique 2 to 1 or 211 to 1, there we go, aspect ratio. And, yeah, I know more aspect ratio talks because we haven't spoken enough about aspect ratios. And it's interesting because 6.5K of resolution, I mean, is massive. And it's massive for a Netflix film. You don't need 6.5K. Um, it's down-res to a 4K compressed format for Netflix. Um, and, you know, it, you know, most films that come out in the cinema are displayed in 2K or 4K. I think it would have been amazing to have seen this film in the cinema um, simply because the set pieces were really well done. It visually was impactful. Um, and, you know, I do wonder how they managed to achieve some of the shots that played out on this film. Um, and it, yeah, it definitely would have been worth seeing in the cinema. Is it worth seeing on Netflix? Uh, if it's worth seeing in the cinema, then it's definitely worth watching on Netflix because you have more time to watch it. Um, but it would have been better to have that unique experience, especially how it was shot and the, and the, res the, the, the amount of resolution that there is in this film. It would have been nice to have seen that play out on the big screen. Uh, so that is my take on Triple Frontier. And uh, in terms of movie recommendations, that's already currently on the streaming service uh, that's been released over a number of years. Um, I'm only going to bring you one, um, and it goes alongside uh, um, our review of Free Solo, and it's The Dawn Wall. Uh, this is available on Netflix, and it comes before uh, Free Solo in some respects. Um, you've got uh, one of uh, you've got Tommy, who is a, a really ambitious climber and he drives himself to climb uh, at uh, uh, Yosemite as well as uh, Alex as he does but this comes before and he's climbing the Dawn Wall and this is one of the most hardest climbs uh, at Yosemite National Park um, at El Capitan and it is incredible it takes 20 days for them to scale this this will be over a number of years. They're planning it and it's just an incredible watch. Um, and I really highly recommend watching this, especially if you want to watch free solo as well. Um, and it's available on Netflix. Um, definitely, definitely worth the watch. So that is cinema at home done on my own without David. David's shuffling papers still. He's still not here. Well, let's hope he's here for the rest of the show, shall we? Is it worth it? Cinema 
Tome. So, it's now time for another review, and it is called Fighting With My Family. Uh, this is uh, a film about Paige and her brother Zach, who love wrestling. Uh, they watch WWE and dream of being part of that world. Meanwhile, their mother and father run a, their own wrestling show, which... Uh, all the family seem to perform in. Mm. Uh, it's when the opportunity arises for Paige and Zach to earn their place at WWE training facilities uh, that everything changes. Uh, let's take a listen to a clip. May I just say my, uh, my husband and I are delighted to finally make your acquaintance. Absolutely, and likewise. Well, Courtney tells us that you're all uh, wrestlers. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, yeah. Whole family, whole family of wrestlers. And I have brother boy. So, <clears throat> what sort of people enjoy wrestling? That's a good question. Uh, I mean, it's all fake anyway, isn't it? So, it's yeah. just... again. It's not fake. It's fixed. Yeah. If it was fake, would I have broken half the bones of my body, Death? His left leg bends both ways. Do you have? You got another question or? I can, yes. How did you get into wrestling? It is quite a romantic story. We like romantic stories. Oh, right, we like this one. Mm. Well, when I met Rick, I was uh, homeless, abused, living on the street, you know. Yep. I myself had done uh, eight years in prison. Prison? (coughs) What was that for? Mainly violence. Mainly violence, yeah. Bit of arm robbery, you know. Anyway, I came back to the flat one night and there was uh, guns, money on the table, everything. So there was guns and... Money. Guns and money, yeah. right? You've done a job, haven't you? And I, I looked at him... The look said, essentially, Ricky, turn your back on crime, otherwise I'm going to turn my back on you. And he did. That's what I did. Never looked back. Some people find religion. But wrestling, we found wrestling, didn't we? It was our salvation. We found each other and all. Yeah. It's a tale as old as time itself, babe. Mm. Oh. Not this now, please. I'll get it. Hello? Yeah, hang on. can I put you on speaker for a second? Yeah, hang on. Who is it? I don't know. Go ahead. Am I speaking to Zach and Brittany? Yeah. My name is Hutch Morgan. I'm calling from WWE. We were very impressed by your tape. In April, we're bringing SmackDown to the O2 in London, and we'd like both of you to come down and try out for us. Hello? They'd be very happy to accept. Good. And we already have a Brittany, so just think of an alternative name. Yeah, sure. Okay. Thank, thank you so much. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, thank you. Thank you very much, sir. I told you. I told you. It was a given. Sorry. What? What is the WWE? So we've just listened to a clip uh, from the film there. Me and Craig are uh, sat in the studio laughing away. Um, I'm going to start off by saying that this film has got really, really good reviews. 92% of critics like it on Rotten Tomatoes. 86% of audiences like it, which I was really surprised at before I'd seen the film. Because when I saw this, a wrestling film, uh, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, Stephen Merchant, I thought there was going to be problems. Where do I kick off with my review? Well, I enjoyed it. Um, 
I was a big, big wrestling fan when when I was a kid. Me and my brother used to stay up late and watch uh, WWE Raw, which was on a Friday night, and it was really late in the UK. And I used to get told off by my dad, who would come down and be like, "Why are you watching that stupid wrestling, David? Get up to your bedroom." Um, and I used to—I I remember once when I actually bought WrestleMania on pay per view using his his um, Sky pin code. He was like, "What the bloody hell's this on my credit card? Who's been buying that stupid wrestling?" I was mortified when I found out that wrestling was fake or acted. Um, I genuinely believed it was real, or I, I, I wanted to believe it was real. Um, so I love some of the flashbacks in this film, some of the main characters, you know, some of the scenes with Triple H and Stone Cold Steve Austin and The Rock. Grew up loving, uh, loving it. And I like this story, this underdog story, and I'm not the only one. Um, the reason this film was actually made, Craig, is Dwayne Johnson was in the UK, in 2013, um, filming Fast and Furious 6. And he actually saw the original documentary on Channel 4, which was called The Wrestlers Fighting With My Family. Mm. Um, and it was a documentary about this British family from Norwich who loved wrestling. Um, and, you know, the daughter ending up in the WWE. And and, and Dwayne loved it. He loved the under underdog element of it. Um, and it actually prompted him to contact writer Stephen Merchant. And that's how the how the film comes about. And when I saw Stephen Merchant was involved, I was expecting it to be funny. Um, now, it was funny, and that clip proves that there are some funny bits in it, but also I think a lot of the comedy misses here, for me. So other people were laughing at some elements of the, of the film. I found some of the elements of the film a little bit childish, and some of the comedy a little bit <laughs> teenagery. But then again, it, maybe it's supposed to be, because I think this is a film that can be seen for the whole family although it probably has a 12A um, rating, I would think. Um, not sure off the top of my head. Um, but what I really liked about the film was actually the... It is a 12A. Yes. Craig is nodding at me. What I really liked about the film, and this is where I'm surprised, I was expecting the drama to be poor and the comedy to be brilliant. Uh, I loved the drama. I thought that um, Florence Pugh was really, really good um, playing our main character and also the person who played her brother, Jack Loudon. Um their relationship is very, very good. And there's a couple of scenes where they're very, very emotional. And I wasn't expecting that. I was expecting more comedy. Um, and actually, the emotional elements of this, and Dwayne The Rock Johnson gives it... I always call him Dwayne The Rock Johnson, even even when I was reviewing... Um, Jumanji, welcome to the jungle. Um, I've I've always called him that, but he gives he gives some some good speeches and, and Vince Vaughn as well, a very depressed Vince Vaughn. It's not I I don't know what he was doing in this film in the sense that he he never looked happy, um, which is well there is a story to him and yeah. and I think that goes along with that story which yeah. comes a bit later on in the mm. film. I think it's fair to say say Stephen Merchant has done something very special with this film from my point of view I think it's a fantastic film I think he's written something with universal appeal I have no idea about wrestling I never watched it I never enjoyed it when did I did watch any bits of it I seen on TV I it, it did not appeal to me mm. so seeing the trailer I thought this does not appeal to me mm. this is not a story that would um entice me into that world whatsoever um Upon leaving the film, I felt um, that it it got me in the heart. It, it's a very uplifting film. Mm. 
Uh, it's as you said, an underdog film, and uh, Stephen Merchant has has written a script that delves into family issues, conflict, mm. love, and he's able to find the little things that allow us to connect, even on a small level, and identify with these characters. And it's those little things. That, so it's it's the little things that I try to live my life by, like the the, the on a day to day basis, where you see somebody just giving you a smile as you walk past, and things like that that build up across a whole day make the day on a grander scheme mm. better. Um, you know, somebody just holding the door open for you, and yeah. or someone just saying thank you for something that you've done. You know, mm. those are the things that that he sort of weaves into this film, mm. and it, it's and it. It is a story about a real life wrestler, and mm. that's something that just wouldn't appeal to a big audience. But it has the box office says it has, and and you've already said uh, Florence Pugh, fantastic, yeah, very good um, indeed. You know she conveys a realism to wrestling, mm. you know, revered for WWE on TV, and it still enables to build this pathos and conflict with her that 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 you wouldn't get maybe if it was the real page p- portraying this mm. on on the screen if you know if she was acting in that role Florence Pugh does it brilliantly uh, the guy who plays Zach uh, what was his name again you had it in your head straight away Jack Loudon there you go he was really really good as well and I think I'd like to see him in some more stuff as well going forward this film to me is is a, is simple yet effective do you do you agree that the comedy was not as good as the drama though um no i i feel like it was it's it's a very almost ricky gervais humor and i i, I say that because ricky and gervais and Stephen merchant yeah. work together very often they write together and it feels very like much like the office it's mm. it's that humor where you know it's dry yeah no i i like the dry humor i really that that's the bit i liked i felt like there was and do excuse or uh, my apologies to our American listeners, some of that American humour, you know, the slipping on the banana skin, toilet humour, do you know what I mean? That that more, you know, less dry, more slapstick stuff that was thrown in now and again, I, I, I didn't think was great. If they're... If I, I can't really remember seeing or... or rem- I don't remember much of that, to be honest with you. Um, but what I did see and laugh at I remember, and mm. you know the the scene that we just had in the clip. Um, that one stuck with me quite a fair bit, and I think Nick Frost and uh, Lena Had- <laughs> Hadley, if I get her name right, um, were brilliant mm. in those roles. Really, really good. And what and, has happened to Nick Frost? Well, he's I, always be on- been like that in a weird way. It's just the way that I think he's all, he looks like that now because those tattoos are real. His hair is like that all the time. I he's think. quite large. He is quite large, but I think he's always been a bigger guy, hasn't he? I don't think so. I mean, <laughs> he certainly I, wasn't that big in the last film I saw him in. Which one was that? I can't remember. <laughs> Hot Fuzz was probably the last film that Who, I watched. Who's the him guy recently. in the um, uh, Mission Impossible films? Um, that's Simon Pegg. Ah. Are you thinking Nick Frost is Simon Peck? Let, let, uh, well, I'm maybe. Let me just Google um, Simon. Oh dear. Yeah. So no, Craig. You... Yeah. So yeah, he would have put on a lot of weight. <laughs> you if are. He was Simon I, am, Peck. I, I am really sorry. I'm making myself look like a total buffoon here. Um, in my head, Nick Frost was Simon Pegg. So I thought, what the bloody hell has happened to Simon Pegg? But now I... Re- yes, sorry, I've made myself look like a fool. Um, <laughs> perhaps our good friend Nick Frost hasn't put on that much weight. But he, nonetheless, he was very good. Um, and I know, I, like I said, I did enjoy this film. We touched a lot upon Sybil... Uh, Sybil? 
sibling rivalry and also community well and community spirit. And they run this great community wrestling club in Norwich. Uh, and I don't want to give any spoilers away there, but there's some really nice scenes where you see the community coming together um, to learn wrestling. Um, so other than the fact that I've mistaken Simon Pegg for Nick Frost, <laughs> yeah, that, <laughs> that is bad, isn't it? it is. um, I, I will say that uh, I, I enjoyed this film, but for me, the drama was much better than the comedy, but overall, very, very impressed. Yeah, I I think drama and comedy worked on both levels for me. Um, and yeah, I really, really enjoyed this film. And uh, I think the box office uh, says it all really as well. And before I ask you the question, yes. uh, I would just like to say, if you do like wrestling, if you have seen this and you like this kind of film, you must, must check out The Wrestler um, starring Mickey Rourke. He got an Oscar nomination for it. It is a sensational film. One of my favorite films, actually. Mickey Rourke in The Wrestler. It's brilliant. So, which one of us is going to ask the question? Craig, fighting with my family. Yes. Is it what? <laughs> <laughs> Fine. Okay. okay. Yes. Would you like to say anything else or are you just going to interrupt me? No, no. Uh, yes, it's worth going to see. I think it's absolutely fantastic. And uh, I think it's going to have a nice long run in mm. the cinema. David, the, re- the wrestler? No, <laughs> fighting with my family. Is it worth it? Yes, it is. Uh, it is a 12A, but I would thoroughly recommend going with your family to see this film. There's a lot of humour in there for adults and for children. Uh, the drama's brilliant. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed this. Uh, I don't think it's quite as good as some, some people have made it out to be, but nonetheless, a very uh, feel-good film and one that is worth seeing in the cinema. You're listening to Is It Worth It? The Film Review Podcast. We would like to recommend Watford's brand new state-of-the-art Cineworld. Cineworld Watford puts audiences at the heart of the movie experience. It boasts nine state-of-the-art screens, all which deliver crystal-clear projection and powerful surround sound. The cinema also has a special IMAX with laser projection. And finally, Screen X is the world's first multi-projection theatre technology that provides moviegoers with a 270-degree panoramic viewing experience by expanding the screen onto the side walls of the auditorium. This tech is exclusive to Cineworld in the UK. As well as this, enjoy Cineworld's usual wide variety of snacks and drinks or have a coffee in the brand new downstairs Starbucks. So uh, make sure you check out Cineworld Watford. Yes, that's right. Do go and check out Cineworld Watford. It's a brand new Cineworld, recently opened in December, and it is a really great Cineworld cinema to to venture out to with some fantastic facilities. Um, And that's uh, also, I have to mention, Cineworld Hemel Hempstead as well. They are both uh, equally great cinemas, uh, and if you are local to either of them, uh, please do go and check them out. Uh, so week 31 we have another review and uh, this one is called what they had i'm going to be doing this one alone again as david is still shuffling multiple pieces of paper um i don't know if they're blank or they have writing on them but uh he's shuffling them nonetheless uh so what is this film about well after her ailing mothered mother wanders off during a blizzard bridget returns to her childhood home in chicago 
Accompanied by her rebellious daughter, uh, she is forced to referee to between her father's stubborn insistence that his wife remains at home and her equally determined brother's efforts to place her in a memory care facility. Bridget struggles to make sense of a lifetime of family conflict, with her mother's decline becoming increasingly obvious, long-simmering resentments bubble to the surface. Uh, let's take a listen to a clip um, from this film. You are who you are. I am a father, a husband, a Catholic. I know it because I am it. I never had to think about it. But there is no reason to be unhappy with a perfectly good marriage. I don't have what you have. (laughs) Yes, you do. Don't you think we had rough periods? You want to go talk to a priest? I'm not a Catholic anymore. Well... There's your problem right there. How do you know? How do you always know what my problem is? Do I do that to you? Did I march in here and say, she's going in a home if you don't like it, go talk to a priest? I listened to you, Dad. I asked you what you wanted, and I fought like hell to get it for you because you matter to me. What you want matters to me. Why don't I matter to you? Mom was a feminist, for Christ's sake. Why didn't anyone ever ask me what I wanted? Honey, we did ask you what you wanted. You said you couldn't wait to be a mother. So this film is directed by Elizabeth Chamoko, who is the writer and director, and it's her first big outing as well. And uh, as such, it is a fairly decent attempt at bringing something to, to the big screen. Uh, this film stars Michael Shannon and Hilary Swank, who play brother and sister. And alongside them, we have Robert Forster, who plays their father, and uh, Blythe Danner as the mother who has dementia. Um, it would seem at the beginning of the film, we are confronted with the harsh realities or someone who is suffering with dementia, but also how it can cause rifts and pain to those who are around those ones who who are um, suffering with dementia. Um, as we see from the film, Michael Shannon's character Nick is torn between keeping his life together and looking after both his parents, whilst also, you know, trying to convince his father that this is probably now the time to to put. Uh, uh, mum in a care home basically and um, it causes a lot of stress between the father and and the son and um, it it is very very stressful Um, but when uh, the the mum ends up um, sort of walking out in this blizzard um, which was actually really well shot um, it it falls upon Bridget to come and fly in um, to, to when when after she's gone missing to try and convince their father that it's it's no longer feasible to look after um, their mum in 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 their own home. Um, Bert, who's played by Foster, is just flat out refuses. Um, you know, he says, "Who can look after her better than me? Uh, help her remember, love her completely." And you know, he, he you know you see him donning yellow marigolds to dye his wife's hair. You know, he it's strange because it's obviously the you know he's quite a macho man as well and and to see him doing that is is quite loving and caring and yet you see him not quite grasping the fact that he need, he needs to let go um it, it would be apparent that the script is inspired by um Chimoko's own grandparents' story and while for the most part the dialogue is good it did feel a little sluggish and perhaps false at times um 
Nonetheless, this is a movie with real substance brought out by the brilliant cast and their ability to flesh out their own characters. And perhaps the more difficult scenes could have been played out on screen instead of being left out and only spoken about uh, later on within the story. Uh, For instance, when Ruth, uh, the mum, makes a pass at her own son. Now, obviously, that would have been very difficult uh, to have seen, but it would have it would have just added a little bit more drama to to the film that we didn't really get. Um, you know, uh, it, there is a lot of substance from the surrounding cast, but the mum who has dementia, so she just doesn't. She has she she's great, but she just doesn't have those difficult scenes happening with her in it. it it was very difficult to portray that on screen i think but for the most part i'd say this wasn't worth seeing in the cinema but there was something special about seeing it in a darkened environment and the big screen added another dimension to the movie that perhaps watching at home wouldn't bring um so what they have or what they had sorry is it worth it i'm gonna say no um Oh, am I going to say no? You know what? I'm going to say yes. This was worth seeing in the cinema because it did have something special about seeing it on the big screen. And I literally just changed my mind there. Um, yeah, I I do think this is worth seeing on the big screen. So that's my review of what they had. Uh, stick around. We have multiple more films to to present to you. And hopefully David will be back from shuffling his paper. Why do I go American now? Weird. So, another review on week 31, and it is What Men Want. Now, we saw this as an unlimited screening uh, fairly recently. Uh, It's been out in the cinema for a couple of weeks now. Um, What is this film about? Well, it's passed passed up. Well, it could be. Passed up for a well-deserved promotion, sports agent Ali Davis wonders what else she needs to do to succeed in a man's world. Hoping to find answers from a psychic, Ali drinks a weird concoction that suddenly allows her to hear (laughs) what men are thinking. Using her newfound abilities, Ali starts to turn the tables on her obnoxious male colleagues while racing to sign the next basketball superstar. Shall we have a listen to a clip? I think we should. Nice shot, baby. (laughs) Man, look at that ass. I should tap that before the wedding. Or after. You up, Ali? Mm Mm-hmm. Excuse me. Go ahead. Ah! Ali, what? Those are his nuts, which are getting married to me Saturday. And I want them in good shape. Oh, balls. Both of them? Yeah. Nice shot. Look at you, pressing all the ladies. Whatever. Why would I waste a second on her when I got you standing right here in front of me? You better be. So there's a clip of the film, and in that clip we have Ali playing pool with her newfound uh love interest mm. and one of her friends who is getting married to the other guy who was in that scene. And Ali can clearly hear. Uh, those guys' uh, thoughts. Uh, one of the guys is obviously being a very male chauvinistic, and <laughs> the other guy is actually very much so in love with Ali. Mm. Um, and this is a turning point in this film. 
what did I think of this film straight away? Let's ask that question, shall we? Um, it was very long. At nearly mm. two hours long, uh, this film felt like I was sitting in the cinema for about four hours. Mm. The comedy was very all over the place. Sometimes it was very funny. And other times it was fairly crude. I mean, use condoms on the back of the jacket. Um, <laughs> yeah. But it, I think it went even cruder at other points mm. as well. Um, yeah. Um, David, go on. You, you pick it up. I, I mean, this film had the potential for the trumpet. It, it did. It, yes. But we're not going to give it the trumpet because actually it's saved by a brilliant performance by uh, Taraji P. Henson, who plays Ali. She's really, really good in this film. I think, like you said, some of the comedy is very, very crude and it really misses the mark. Some of the script is atrocious, really badly written. Mm. And also the film's way too long, but she brings so much energy and enthusiasm and and and, and it works. Her character works. Some of the other performances are fine, but really the film's let down by two things. One, the fact it's too long. And two, again, the, the script is, is, is very, very poor. I mean... <sighs> This is, this is a film where, you know, you've got to take your critical cap off and just say, what did we think of the film? Yes, there were a few laughs, but it was very odd at the same time. This That, that mystic woman, the, the, the fortune teller, yes. that basically said she'd made a herbal tea, but actually it just contained class A drugs. You know, things like that. It was just odd and it didn't quite work. But actually, when they got away from the stupid comedy and some of the real... Like, it almost felt like those bad Eddie Murphy films. Like, was it Norbert? What was that horrific? Oh, I can't remember, but I know exactly do you know, do you know what, what I mean? you're talking it, about. Some of yeah. it felt like that, or, or that Adam Sandler monstrosity where he played um, Jack and Jill. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, it, some of it felt like that. And actually, when they got away from that stupidity and got down to the, to the question of the film, what men want, and some substance, that, that was much, much better, because the film goes down this stereotypical route where she can hear what men are thinking, and all men are thinking about is money, sex, power, and it's a bit like, as a bloke, when we had Katie on the show earlier, she was fantastic, you know, talking about, you know, female roles in cinema, finally having a female superhero, and as a man, I'm watching this, and then what men want, and it's just saying, you know, money, sex, cars, power, you think, well, actually, no, like, that's a very stereotypical version, and, and it's not just one person, you know, when she's walking through the office, the things these blokes are thinking in their heads are pretty terrible, mm. um, and when it gets away from that, and starts actually getting down to the question of what men want, and she gets into this relationship, and she realised that, actually, what men want is pretty similar to women they want you know a partner they want to have kids they want to be successful um the film redeems itself it redeems itself in the later stages and it redeems itself with its lead actress um could have been much much shorter though craig couldn't it a, oh, bit, yeah, a bit like my review of it just call it a day <laughs> <laughs> i mean one of the parts that i really liked which was very much so prominent in the trailer was when the young boy put on her pants on, the, on her, he was a his fan. head wasn't he, he was brilliant. great but when he goes welcome to wakanda <laughs> later on when he said, I knew they were her pants. Yeah, that was yeah. absolutely brilliant. Uh, yeah. He was fantastic. And uh, yeah, I mean, it does redeem itself. You're right. But I think most of the humour is very forced. 117 minutes, the running time. Yeah, it's just shy of two hours. Yeah, that is seriously long. You know, you could you could quite comfortably cut 20, 25 minutes out of it. Yeah, 100%. Um, do you know what the weird thing is, though, Craig? The critics give it a 46% score. But um, the audience give mm -hmm. it a 33%. Oh, yeah. Wasn't expecting that. Yeah. Well, and, uh, do you know why I think the critics give it that 
46% score. And I think it's solely because of um, Taraji P. Henson's performance. I think she brings so much energy and enthusiasm. And mm. some of the other um, actors and actresses as well, they, they bring their A-game and their performances are good. And I think that's why the critical scores are actually higher. Um, it's the script and the running time that lends it down. And that's why I think the audience only give it 33%. Because mm. no matter how good a film is, if it's too long, people come out a bit like this review thinking, when are they going to stop? Yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah. Mm. let's ask the question. Then, yeah, let's we? do it. David, what men want? Is it worth it? No. Um, I, I look. I don't think this is worth seeing in the cinema. I don't. I, I mean, I personally, having seen it, I wouldn't recommend you pay to go and see this in the cinema. I think it's something that you can watch at home on, on a streaming service, and it's the kind of film that you can dip in and out of because of its long running time. You can switch off for a bit and come back into it. But no, for me, not worth seeing in the cinema. Not the kind of film that needs to be in, uh, seen in the cinema. Uh, I completely agree with you. As always, I'm um, right. I, I, I. <laughs> didn't really like it at all and i don't think i would watch it on the streaming surface either to be honest with you i don't think it would be the first thing that i pick up I, after watching a trailer to be honest with you i've, I've got to say when i go to the cinema with you because often we we sit apart or we go individually mm. you're I, I always look at you you don't like it i always look over to you mm. during the film to see what you're thinking of it. I can normally tell from your facial expression, you looked mortified. Mm. You looked really, actually disgusted at some points. Yeah. Um, and, and there were some other people in there, wasn't there, that you got that sense. It well, was I mean, when most, people, most of the audience went, ah. Yeah, some of it was very crude. And if you do crude, crude humour and get it right, big thumbs up. If you get it wrong, Yeah, bad. I mean, it was it almost was like it didn't... It, it was almost too spaced out mm. because the film's so long, so the crude yeah. humour didn't happen enough. But then it just shouldn't have happened at all, really. Mm. Therefore, uh, so yeah, that's, that is our review of what men want. Yeah, indeed. Not good. <laughs> not worth seeing in the cinema. Nope, definitely not. So it's now time for another review, and this one is called Border, and this is a foreign Swedish film that we uh, saw fairly recently at Cineworld Hemel Hempstead. And uh, what is this film about? Well, Tina uh, works as a border patrol officer, and it's immediately obvious that she has this extraordinary sense of smell. It's as if she can smell people's feelings, guilt, anger, love, uh, and sometimes they're hiding something. Mm. So as a border worker or a border patrol officer, this comes in very handy. But it's when a suspicious looking man walks past <laughs> her. That's one way of putting it, Craig. <laughs> <laughs> her abilities uh, ch are challenged for the very first time ever. Tina can smell this man mm. is hiding something, but she can't seem to identify what. Even worse, she feels a strange attraction to him. Uh, as Tina develops a special bond with this man, uh, she discovers that his true identity, uh, and in the process, she seems to find her own identity, and she seems to realise a bit more about herself. Um, we don't have a clip because mm. this film is in uh, is in Swedish, and I don't think there'll be many people who will speak Swedish or maybe understand Swedish. 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 <laughs> um, <laughs> And uh, therefore, there's probably uh, not a big cause to have a clip in this film. No. Um, I will go out straight away and say this about the film. It's strange. It's bizarre. Mm, bizarre. 
But in my opinion, I think it's a masterpiece. I really do. Um, I think a lot of people will come away from this film um, and take away a, certain, a few certain scenes that happen within this film, mm. and that will be f- scenes that will stick with them. Forever. Forever. Um, it's, it's really hard to explain, yeah, isn't it? Um, essentially what happens in this film is that I'm going, I'm going to reveal it because no, do not reveal it. 100%. Don't. Well, how do we do this without spoiling it? We don't. That's the whole point. Basically you said to me, you text me before I went into this film. Don't look at any reviews. Don't look at any synopsis. Go into this film blind. And that is our recommendation. If you want to see border, go into this film blind. It is. I have an idea. Go ahead. Let's say from this point on, it will be a slightly spoiler review. So turn it off if you want to see it. Absolutely, 100% not. No one's turning it off. We can talk about the acting performances. We can talk about the prosthetics. We can talk about some of the themes, but we will not give any spoilers away. Absolutely no way. Talk about why you like this film. I like this film because (laughs) (laughs) the director has produced something very dark here. Mm. And it, it transcends a lot of themes within the film if it's there's love there's hope there's identity um there's so much within it that can be related on a level that when you see this film and 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 without spoiling it there are things that are revealed um that that connect to people on on very many levels Mm. and it's about being part of a community living on the fringes of of, of community as well and being part of a race of people as well Mm. and and identifying with that race of people and understanding what it's like to fit in Mm. and tina quite clearly doesn't fit in but attempts to Mm. what i really like though is that where she works, it's almost like she's actually respected for what she's mm. able to do. Um, it's not like she's got superhuman powers, but actually she does. It's mm. like they they know that she can do this, this this incredible thing, but they don't think she's weird about no. it. And I really like that. I think you've absolutely hit the nail on the head. I thought your synopsis was perfect, mate, honestly, not giving too much away. And like you said... This is probably the hardest film I've ever had to review on this podcast because it's one that if you say, if we give away anything, it, it, but it basically spoils it and that's what mm. I don't want to do. I do want to say that Eva Melander and uh, Euro Milanov, who are our two uh, actors, main characters, are are really good in this film. Disturbingly good. Um, both of them put on 20 kilograms for the role and every day before filming they spent four hours in the makeup chair having various makeup applied, prosthetics, etc. Um, and they bring chilling, disturbing and performances that will stick with you. I mean, this film was nominated at the Academy Awards for Best Achievement in Makeup and Hairstyling and rightly so because they've done a, a phenomenal uh, job in that um, aspect of this film. And it gets a great response from the critics, Craig, on Rotten Tomatoes. 96% of the critics like it. Mm-hmm. 72% of the audience like it. And what, what what can I say? In terms of a film, the way it's made, the way it's shot, the, the way it made me feel, the acting performances, it is incredible. I've honestly, since doing this podcast, this is one of the films that will stick with me because it made me feel physically ill. Um, it made me feel angry. It made me feel sad. It really, really moved me. The fact that it was a foreign language film 
I think enhanced the experience for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I, 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 I almost felt like I was looking in on something that I, I shouldn't be looking in on. That's one of the themes of the film. But actually, I enjoyed it being in a foreign language, being subtitled. And there's not a huge amount of dialogue in this film. A lot of it's done with facial expressions and and movement. It's got what I will say is, well, you know, I love my soundtracks. It's got a gorgeous soundtrack. Craig knows that after I see a film, if I like the soundtrack, I download it. My yep. phone is now full of soundtrack. This has got a wonderful soundtrack and some really wonderful um, performances and moving scenes. It's a disturbing film. It some of the themes in it I found very uncomfortable. Some of the scenes I found really uncomfortable. So as a film, I think I don't think it's a masterpiece, but I think it's technically a very good uh, piece of film. Is it something that I would recommend people watch? That Now, that's a totally different question and one that I still haven't decided on. Well, we'll get to that bit then in, in, mm. in a moment. And uh, from my point of view, it really is a masterpiece, though, because it really challenges everything that you think about in life, mm. I think. And it's it's combined surreal drama and fantasy into something that you can almost connect with on every level. And for everybody who has been bullied in school, perhaps, or has had people take the mickey out of the way you look mm. um, and, you know, trying to fit in, um, this film takes it and spins yeah. it on its head um, 20 There's times over. A lot of themes about ethics, morality, what it means to be human, um, love, anger. It, yep. th- this is the perfect film for a film study student. You could write a thesis uh, on this film. You could. You really could. Inter- go on, go on. I'll let you finish your sentence. Well, no, 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 You, you go ahead. Okay. What I was going to say was, if I can remember. Now, <laughs> Sorry um, to interrupt. No, it's fine. Uh, I was going to say, this film is not Hollywood. Obviously, it's mm. it's foreign. And therefore, it does a great job of not telling us it shows us. Yep. And this is a wonderful example of, of taking people by the hand by showing. And I know and and, and it's that's why I really love it. Because mm. you films that take you by the hand and 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 lead you in, in one direction by literally telling you with mm. dialogue and and making it so easy to understand and comprehend really annoy me. Mm. And it's such a, a typical Hollywood trope to do that. This film does that not at all, mm. at, at all, ever. And that's not because, you know, the dialogue is just perfect. It mm. really is. And the subtitles obviously help us to understand it. But I think it's a really good translation of it. I, I, I If I could speak Swedish, I reckon that the English subtitles would be very near to what this film is is telling you in, in, in the dialogue. Just, just the showing, the, the the acting, the way that the Tina is is smelling and and mm. her facial it's, expressions underneath all that makeup as well and prosthetics, yeah, well, it conveys mm. everything. The emotion, yeah. it's perfect, and that's why I think it's such a mm. masterpiece. It's it's one of the reasons I like the film. Like I said, I actually think the fact that it's a foreign language film enhances yeah, the, exactly. the, the viewing experience because, like you say, Hollywood has become really bad for its almost assumption that people in the cinema are morons. Mm. Therefore, we're going to tell you the plot. We're g- and, and not only tell you the plot, 
spoon feed it to you and reinforce with script and with visuals several times this is what's happening. What I liked about this film was I didn't know what was happening and I didn't know where it was going and it led me one way, then it led me another and the whole time I was thinking, where is this going? What is this? Mm. And it really, really got me thinking. Visually, it was quite disturbing. But yeah, overall, I mean, I think you've won me round a little bit. Um, Good, because you really didn't like it when you first uh, watched no, it. No, 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 no. No, that is not true. It's not that I really... That, do not shake your head. <laughs> that is not true. It wasn't that I really didn't like it. It was that it made me feel physically sick. That, that's, that's the one scene in particular, though. There's a number it? of scenes. The whole thing is pretty difficult to watch. From, from Right, okay. From a critical perspective, I liked it. From a cinema-going perspective, I absolutely hated it. And I think that's the important thing. It's, it's very well made. It's very well acted. It's, it's, as a film, I think it's brilliant. Is it the kind of film that I'd want to watch as a cinema-goer? Probably not. Is it something I would watch at home again? Probably not. But from a critical perspective, from you know, a, a, a film review perspective, it's, it's very, very good indeed, if that okay. makes sense. Yeah, it makes sense. I think this is my kind of film. This is the film that I really, I really like to get my teeth into. And, and Yeah, but it's not the kind of film if you were having a Netflix and chill, you'd chuck this on, would you? No, but that's not the, <laughs> I, that's not the sort of film... I, I mean, I don't really tend to do Netflix and chill, if you know what I mean, mate. <laughs> I, I would really actually prefer to... If I was going to have an, a, an evening in where I'm going to watch a film that I really don't want to think about, I'd stick on Notting Hill and I'll watch that over and over and over and over Great and over film. again. But if I want to watch something that's different and I want to be entertained as well, I was entertained mm. watching this film. It was Jaw disturbing. dropping, really. Yeah, exactly. I, and and cinema is about being shocked and it's about exactly. taking you to another level and and enhancing your viewing by and learning and understanding mm. of, of the world around you and it educates you. This film does that and mm. I want that in, in my cinema going experience. And so, therefore, if I'm not looking at it from a critical response, I want to... Uh, it, it's, it's a film that I thoroughly enjoyed and it, I learned from it, I understood from it, I engaged with it. And and I love it on every aspect of it. Um, even even the scenes that were difficult to watch. Um, you know, most people, if you were a, a, a I don't know a teenager watching this film, you'd laugh at it. You mm. because you didn't know you wouldn't know what else to do. And mm. I'm, I'm using the teenage sort of trope because you know you could tell that teenagers would 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 hundred yeah. percent laugh at this. Um, mm. I mean, there'll be people who are slightly more immature, perhaps, that would laugh at this and. I think maybe from what from what you're saying, that scene made you feel sick. I don't know. I, it's not giving you. It's not. I don't want to give too much away. It's really so. Difficult. Let me ask you the question. No. Okay, all right. Then. <laughs> Go on then, Craig. We look. We could talk about this we film really forever. Could. Yeah. Um, but we we must um, conclude. And I shall ask you the question: Border. Is it worth it? Yes, this film is definitely worth seeing in the cinema. Um, it may not be widely available anymore in uh, Cineworld or other cinemas. It probably is still available in independent cinemas, Picture House, etc. Um, so if you want to see it, um, please try and see it. I think it's such a worthwhile film to see. Um, it, there, may, there will be difficult scenes to see. And if you are offended easily, maybe don't go and see this film. Um, otherwise, if you are into your nitty dritty, nitty dritty, nitty gritty drama films with a little bit on the edge mm. or things are, are a little bit edgy, that's, that's the word I'm looking for, then yeah, definitely go and see this film. Uh, David Border, is it worth it for you? 
Yes, look, I'm going to say this is worth seeing simply because, you know, technically it's it's a masterpiece. Like I said, visually, there's some wonderful scenes. There's great soundtrack, two brilliant uh, lead performances, and there's so much meat on the bone, so many themes, so much discussion you could have. But be warned, this is one of the weirdest films I've ever seen. This is going to upset people. It's going to disturb some people. And therefore... It, it is worth watching. You know, 96% of the critics like it. That's an incredibly high score. And it's the kind of film, actually, that in a few weeks' time I'd like to briefly touch upon again in the podcast when we've given people the opportunity to see it. So if you do go and see this, please email us, tweet us, let you know what we thought, because this would be a great film to read one of your fabulous emails out or tweets or however else you want to get in contact with us. Yes. Uh, how can they get in contact with us? Well, Craig, David? they can get in contact with us in a number of ways on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or by emailing us at mymailisworthit at isitworthitpodcast.com. Wonderful. So that was our review of Border. Thank you very much for listening to week 31 of Is It Worth It? The Film Review Podcast. It's been a long one trying to make this one, hasn't it? <laughs> it, is, it has been very long. We've been recording over multiple days. Um, as, you, as you can tell, I've created a couple of hands solo uh, interviews because uh, I was still at work shuffling through various paperwork. And we were due to finish recording last night, but then we had an unlimited screening. Cineworld are brilliant. They're pumping out these unlimited screenings. There's so many films to see in the cinema, and we go out of our way to see all of them, even the bad ones, so you don't have to. Indeed. Uh, it's been, it's been a t- I suppose, a tough week for me as well because... <laughs> Uh, our bathroom at home is being uh, is being redecorated. <laughs> it is in, well, and, it's just uh, been stripped out, hasn't it? It has. There's no bath. There's no shower. There's nothing really. So um, yeah, to enable, stinks. No, well, no. <laughs> <laughs> to enable myself to to, to wash uh, to, uh, and, and whatnot and shower, I've been uh, using the gym facilities. But mm. I find myself weirdly having to feel like I have to exercise when I go there just to, to go and use the shower mm. facilities. It's a strange concept, really. Isn't but it's it? bizarre though, because I got—I woke up this morning um, for work, and I had a, a message from Craig, and it was like, "Gym done, shower done, feel great." And I had this image of Craig in the gym, pumping iron, hitting the treadmill, no. having a nice shower. And I've only just found out that what? How long did? So you it had was you had to just. Minutes. 10 minutes. You just said you did two minutes on the treadmill. No, no, you can have a look at my activity. It was and, ten, then, ten and, and a few bicep curls and then a no, shower. No, not even that. I, no I bicep literally curls. was on the treadmill. Actually, I think what it was was an outdoor cycling. So, so I wasn't actually on the treadmill. No, it was a cycling machine. And I spent <laughs> 10 minutes on that. So I walked in, put my stuff in the, in, in, in the, in the holder and then went back out, cycled for 10 minutes. So it looked like I've done some some exercise to the people that were already there. You know, there. they probably wouldn't notice. Nobody would notice, of course. Yeah. But I feel like I am obliged to use the gym. It's like it's like going to a restaurant. Mm. This is because you don't like sitting outside no. of the restaurant seating area and not eating their food. Yeah. You feel obliged to buy their food. Yeah. I feel obliged to, to use their facilities mm. so I can use their showering facilities. Yeah. Like I feel like I've got to work for it. Mm. 
even though I'm paying for it anyway. I tell you what, it does remind me. I need to get back in the gym. I was I was smashing the gym and the healthy eating, and I'm about six weeks now into a McDonald's diet, and it's not going. Oh, not again. Yeah. Oh, David. I'm, I'm a man of extremes, from extreme gym going and eating, you know, lean meat turkeys and Greek mm. yogurt to just gorging on McDonald's and Domino's. We had a nice meal out last night, didn't we? We did. Um, we went out for a pizza. Um, very, very enjoyable. Craig, what have we got coming up on week 32? Well, coming up on week 32, we have Everybody Knows. We have the kindergarten teacher. Mm-hmm. As well as that, we have Miss Barla. And we have Five Feet Apart, Fisherman's Friends, Fisherman's which we're very much so looking forward I'm to I'm really looking forward to bringing watching. a review of that. Or review, because we've actually seen it. <laughs> yeah, we've already seen it, yeah. Uh, the Prodigy uh, Shazam. Shazam. That's and, an unlimited screening. Mm. Uh, as, as well as that is mid-90s, which is also an unlimited screening. And... Directed by Jonah Hill, dare yeah. I say. Wild Rose, which is also an unlimited screening, which we saw yesterday. Yeah, another uh, film I'm really looking forward to reviewing. Brilliant, brilliant film. And we have a competition as well, Craig, I believe. We do, but I haven't finished reading out the films. Oh, I'm so sorry. There's loads. Under, there is the, a lot. Uh, Under the Silver Lake. Okay. And Jordan Pill's new film, Us, which we're going to be reviewing uh, Us with Zoe of Zobo with a shotgun.com. Uh, <laughs> so she reviews a lot of horror films mm. um, and she's a big, big horror film viewer mm. and fan. So I'm really looking forward to sitting down with Zoe and, and discussing Us. I'm excited for that as well. Yeah. Uh, and there's a lot more of other films as well, but I haven't written them down. Mm, um, no worries at all. Yeah, what was it you were going to say? Uh, tell our lovely listeners about a competition we've got coming oh, up. Oh, yes. So the competition we've got coming up is for Shazam. So if you're not an unlimited card holder, you can win yourself two tickets to any Sydney world in the UK and view it in the wonderful IMAXs. Wherever you are in the UK, mm. there is a Sydney world that will have an IMAX. Yep. Um, and you will win yourself some tickets to that. So look out for that competition. It will be on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Um, and you'll be able to, to retweet on Twitter and follow us mm. to win. The links will be on Instagram and Facebook to the Twitter page yep. to do so. So if you don't have a Twitter account, get get a Twitter account because that's <laughs> the only way you're going to win it. If you don't have a Twitter account, what, you know, what decade are you in? Everyone's on Twitter now. I mean, I've had Twitter for 11 years. It's crazy, isn't it? That's a long time. It's a lot of tweeting. It is. Um, so finally, I just want to say thank you very much to to Will, Matt, mm. and Katie for coming on the show and uh, and reviewing and interviewing and all of those things uh, because it was a very 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 long episode in that it was episode. indeed. Um, and also thank you Cineworld Hemel Hempstead for allowing us to use their facilities here in terms of viewing uh, their films. And also letting us record as well. They've been letting us record for a number of weeks because uh, the roof where we usually record has <laughs> been blowing. studio has been destroyed. It has. It makes this incredibly strange sound. And It uh, sounds like a, a fart, <laughs> if, 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 if I'm honest. It, if, it actually does. We're just trying to record and you just did... Which is the wind blowing under the, under the roof. Alas. Alas, indeed. <laughs> so that is, that is the end. Finally... <laughs> Of week 31. I wonder what the world record for the longest podcast is. We might have to have a look on the Guinness World Record website and uh, see if we've won it. Yeah, I mean, if if not, we should actually do like a 24-hour episode and just keep recording over and over, we, we, live we, streaming. We, yeah, I mean, we wouldn't have to say anything. It'd just be silent. Anyway, <laughs> thanks very much for listening and uh, we will speak to you again very, very soon indeed.